everybody out there in dreamland namaste and shalom iron sharpens iron and a friend sharpens a friend this is rumors of war 1987 thank you all very much for your viewership thank you all very much for returning to the greatest uh channel of all time so basically we're going to be speaking about a hypothetical original take on um, the jurassic park sequels after the trilogy and um hopefully improving and fixing streamlining the um jurassic park series and kind of returning it to its former glory with this hypothetical story treatment this story creation because ultimately the franchise of jurassic park really is influential and iconic not only to uh, my life personally but also to um, western culture and uh ultimately what do we consider modern culture um, the original film came out in 1993. I remember watching it in theaters and waiting around, uh, waiting in a line that wrapped around the theater uh, for several hours before we got a chance to see the see the uh, premiere. It was quite large, you know, that impact that you would have, like reserve for Star Wars or uh, you know uh, Harry Potter in terms of cultural phenomena. Uh, when, you know, premiere dates being like one of those big deals that people, for example, wait for. Um, the Lost World Jurassic Park was released in 1997. Um, definitely, I remember it being, watched that in theaters too, but being a major uh, blockbuster, uh, being an incredible blockbuster. Um, Jurassic Park 3 was released in 2001. Also saw that in theaters. I remember it being one of the films that I, at my this time of my life, was beginning to uh, discern as mediocre. And while I admit that that film is mediocre, it has enough uh, background drama to kind of satiate anyone's, um, you know, curiosities. It's, it's a very well-documented shipwreck when it comes to uh, mismanagement of movies and approaching major projects with disrespect. And at the same time, still created a very meme-worthy movie, a very memorable movie. Um, as flawed as it is and as underachieving as it really is when it comes to story, ultimately it's still a very solid, um, I'd say, third entry into the film because it's not made, uh, you know, to higher specs, but it's still made with a lot of heart. It kind of... Uh, fails, you know, at every key point that it tries, and because of that, it's just, you know, I don't want to say it's charming because it's so bad, but it is definitely a B-list movie introduced into a rather silly series. The second film is also rather silly, with more of a comedic and humorous tone to it. Definitely a, um, definitely a very good example of the idea of a blockbuster as it was in the mid to late 90s and in 90s cinema itself that that before pre-millennia uh, understanding of what cinema was and the function it played in society to honor the impact of this film though and to kind of really uh bring to uh understanding everyone like to understand what this really means the impact of these films first of all cold hard cash these films have uh, grossed well over a billion dollars. The last film, Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom, grossed over $1.3 billion worldwide, making it the third Jurassic film to pass a billion dollar mark. 
works. Basically, there have been three films in the uh, Jurassic Park um, franchise to gross over a billion dollars individually. So, we're going to not only approach that from this incredibly lucrative and successful um, franchise, but also the Jurassic Park films were created from the novel uh, novel written by Michael Crichton, who is a very uh, esteemed literary figure in modern paperback fiction and a definite insider when it comes to this hard sci-fi realm of disclosure. It was filmed, obviously, by the greatest villain of all time, Steven Spielberg, and uh, thus has his stamp of approval, cabal approval, when it comes to this material, and he's had his uh, direct supervisory eye on all aspects of casting and uh, script adjustment, script uh, creation, so this is definitely from the cabal down. You know, they know what they have. He bought the film rights for the book six months before the book was uh, published. You know, this was definitely written for a mass cultural effect and to get the information of cloning and um, dinosaurs into the foreground of the public eye. Uh, it had The original Jurassic Park, released in 1993, has been officially accepted into the um, American Film Registry, the National Film Registry, meaning that it's basically preserved in the Smithsonian Institute for Films as a cultural treasure, as a national treasure, and uh, one of the, uh, you know, greatest examples of cinema, because only the greatest examples of cinema can enter into these. Yes, the sequels have been terrible, and yes, by far, um, have fallen from the great benchmark that the original made. But the original is not perfect either. Nothing really is. But for what it is and what the story tells, it's very thematically consistent and it's very um, impressive. So we're going to try to honor that and reproduce that magic in the treatment of these sequels. Because I feel that the reproduction of the success in this magic of um, design and execution... I mean, yes, the execution nailed it. Obviously, they were extremely successful movies. They're considered some of the best blockbusters and the uh, last, uh, best performing blockbusters in the last 10 years. Uh, You know, obviously, if you make over a billion dollars, I believe your film is quite successful and the public has agreed, you know, as such. But I believe that critically, thematically, structurally, and cinematographically, they have missed the mark and have actually uh, brought a lot of shame to the series, kind of dishonored it in ways of lowering the intellect, lowering the uh, seriousness of it, and basically making it a uh, children's property. Now, to uh, address these issues is kind of difficult because you have to basically say that like I did with the um, second um, uh, Pacific Rim that the film just has to be thrown out or and, and like I did with the um, last two recent Alien film franchises that I worked on, Covenant and Prometheus that you just have to throw these out. These are not films inside this franchise's universe. These are not films inside this canon of material and mythos and lore. This is those Jurassic Park War or Jurassic World and Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom are almost in a separate timeline, a separate divergent universe that shares a lot of similarities but ultimately has two different entire tones and of interpretation. The Jurassic Park franchise 
Uh, that is itself a type of exotic safari horror that blends in Michael Crichton's expert way of doing it, does balance the uh, naivete of extremely powerful science and the reality of, um, I guess you'd call it, the harshness of nature, of nature's of natural law, of like the red of tooth and claw type mentality. Uh, whether it be a virus, whether it be uh, human nature, whether it be dinosaurs, whether it be uh, nanotechnology, um, Michael Crichton's stories typically have that theme. And that's exactly the magic that inspired Jurassic Park, was that ultimately, for all its flair and impressiveness, the human element was ultimately its ability to survive with all that stripped away. I believe that Jurassic World, you know, obviously got closest to this message without going over uh, being, like I said, uh, close enough to kind of be considered an alternate timeline of the original spirit of Jurassic Park. Um, it's close enough that you might confuse the two like doppelgangers, but their nature is entirely different given the motivation of the characters, given the uh, circumstances, given the uh, world that they have created for this to kind of occupy. The Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom is absolutely um, a failure when it comes to these two themes and these two uh, these two kind of benchmarks, these judgments. Uh, I guess you call it like these uh, standards for which the the series will be judged. Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom feels like it is a film with dinosaurs, but it has almost nothing to do with the original subject matter and definitely nothing to do with the subject matter of its direct predecessor, Jurassic World. I know that sounds ironic, but Jurassic World has set up a world that is completely ignored and um, by the Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom and kind of... Um, you know, it just stretches disbelief. It really does. It just takes you for a ride, and you have to follow. You have to be along for it, which isn't what the original Jurassic Park did. Jurassic Park would um, almost make you feel as shocked and breathless as the characters themselves, as if though when things when dangers arose, they were genuinely surprised, and we were genuinely surprised. You know, seeing through their eyes these events, kind of getting that adrenaline rush, getting that connection to the characters. Um, that I feel is extremely lacking and absent in the uh, Jurassic World series of movies, the Jurassic World, Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. And I believe that a lot of things are there just because you do have to have pro like they try to use proxies instead of um, a real flesh and blood characters without real motivations they just needed two kids they used two kids one will be go with computers you know the other one isn't uh the other one's in the dinosaurs they used that, that kind of model you had a uh male and female lead that had a type of drama based on uh children and commitment and that was kind of a big deal with jurassic world exactly in jurassic world uh, fallen kingdom seemed to try to re replicate the magic of lost world uh, just creating proxy characters for the Jeff Goldblum, his um, red-haired girlfriend, Sarah, and, of course, the other uh, characters in that film. The gatherers, the bald hunter, exactly. And it was just an absolute mess.
these movies aren't paint by numbers. These movies have to be organic expressions dealing with uh, real serious themes and uh, really approaching the horror aspect, the survival horror aspect uh, more. I think that Jurassic World 3, which I think is ironic because it was the one that's most on the surface made for children and families, um, deals with the issues of horror, uh, I guess you call it a jungle horror, paleo horror, Jurassic horror in um, an excellent way. And that is saying that the ruins of this island are becoming more and more dangerous as time goes on and people are becoming less and less um less and less uh, allowed on this island to prevent it or to monitor it or to study it. And so it's kind of, you know, accelerating the, uh, it's being a catalyst for this type of uh, nature finding a way. So after the third film, you should start Jurassic World. And I understand you want to keep it to the point that, I don't have these rules, so I want to keep it to the point that, well, I don't want to change anything, but you got to throw it all out. You really do. I can't uh, work with the skeletons or the bodies of uh, Jurassic World, Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. Um, I really have to keep those names, but I will keep those names in um, in in spirit only to make them uh, understandable. While I create these two first segments, and then um, we'll follow up with my third. Um, trilogy, the in-cap trilogy for these original scripts, the same as, as I've always done. Now, let's uh, progress. We just get a drink here. Hold on one second. In fact, I guess for the sake of convenience and to not completely dismiss a billion-dollar uh, earning movie, um, I will kind of uh, keep the essentials i guess i'll keep the the formula that it ran with the characters and their relationship to each other but of course i'm going to have to change a lot and i'm definitely going to lose first of all lose the indominus rex that is an absolute crap angle okay so you start the movie uh jurassic world because i can't i can't really fault the first three um for the, what they did even though they're cheesy they are still you know that perfect you know quintessential they are what they are and that's what makes them so great um, although I think the second one is terrible. Um, to be honest, I think Lost World is terrible. It's great when you're a little kid. It's awful when you're an adult. Um, much like these two films, I guess, are. They're all, I guess they'd be great if, you know, I was 14. But uh, these films, you know, as an adult, need some... I think they need to be catered more to an adult audience. Because I think they're catered, you know, halfway to an adult audience. Like they definitely make it where it's like very you have to be an adult to understand like the, the interplay of the characters and but it's like a children's understanding of these concepts like oh that's the billionaire of course he'd fly a helicopter and not have like a private helicopter pilot or like a paid mercenary to do it because he'd want to do it even though he's got no combat experience or crisis intervention or you know they, they even make it to the point that he is still getting his pilot license or something like I don't know but this movie has a lot of holes so these are the tropes by the way um, that were already documented in the uh, Jurassic Park series so we're going to kind of uh, keep that keep that in mind that these were never truly original films and that we can kind of always uh, work with the elements that are presented in the media and in the genres uh, as peers. So, Jurassic World. 
uh, Claire, you got Owen. Claire is your business lady. She's at the insider corporate level um, for the park that is, I guess, reopened and has reopened successfully and has been thriving. But at the same time, um, you know, in the real world of competition, but at the same time, it's still thriving. Like, you know, it's still doing very well enough to get international investors and capture the hearts and minds of the international uh, jet-setting crowd, including rich tourists from the Middle East, China. And this is where you're going to kiss a lot of ass in Mandarin. You're going to pander in Mandarin um, because you're going to show your rich Chinese tourists, you know, basically renting out the place because what you're going to show is that this has become a resort for the luxurious and the elite which is far from the ideals that John Hammond had when he opened the park and that whole scene where they're arguing over uh, the guests dinner the uh, Chilean sea bass when the guy's saying oh we'll have coupon day and stuff that was his ideal was to have it accessible for everyone and now it's become a resort and destination for basically the princes and kings of the earth and their children their snotty little kids because Claire works there uh, of course you've got to have your two little kids uh, coming on in because everyone loves to follow the the teenagers around on the evil dinosaur island um and that's a big part of what made the Jurassic World series so much in the and so much related. Like the that's the DNA of Jurassic Park, you know, showing through. Your two kids obviously are Claire's uh, nephews or cousins or whatever. Uh, I don't know. Basically, though, have them have a relationship be something that's a little bit closer and more protective if not you know less understanding or as un- understanding and less um you know as if though she was a robot and not a real human like more of a real human being with like the understanding of social situations and and you know responsibilities and expectations that your family would impart upon uh, being given responsibilities to family members, um, especially young ones, you know, children. So, yes, they go to the park to see her. They don't go into the midst of the tourist crowd, but they stay with her and kind of she's just f- making them shadow her and then kind of pawning them off onto what is ultimately like the daycare center for the uh, corporate uh, headquarters. Like I said, every corporation would have one, but obviously show that it's not used and that it's meant for children who are far younger uh, than they are. So thus the kids are getting bored and kind of uh, rebellious. They want to see the dinosaurs. They want to go out to the park and enjoy the rides. Unfortunately, the rides are reserved. Uh, The entire island's reserved for this international jet set party of uh, super rich people from Beijing and like the Middle East and you know all these really weird snobby countries and um, you know because they've reserved it and this is a business there's not much they can do right Owen is introduced Owen is the animal trainer slash uh, head zookeeper you know this is a zoo it is a wildlife park and his thing is, though, that he's working with the Navy on a grant for infrasound because the way the park is secured and nowadays because it's the future is with infrasound instead of the electric fences. It's with infrasound and with uh, conditioning and with like training and also with like incentives like positive and negative reinforcement. And the predators are kept in an entirely separate part of the island and uh, in a much different condition. There's it has the bars and the electric fencing, but for all the other um, 
you know, creatures, dinosaurs, like the uh, sauropods and the triceratopses and your, uh, you know, um, other kinds, <laughs> like the, all the other kinds, I can't remember right now, all the other kinds, um, it's all infrasound and it seems to be paying off very well. Uh, the technology seems to be, not, it's proprietary, it's independently created by the company. And this is where Claire comes in, it's because Claire is obviously kind of an antagonist to Owen, because she's upset that he is tra dealing with the U.S. military with independently created technology that she, you know, is responsible for the patents for, and she's like... Uh, you know, this could cost you your job, this could cost your position in the company, this could cost you, you know, a lawsuit, and maybe even, like, uh, you know, like, a lot of, like, negative things could come down, like, she could get fired, she would lose her position because she's shared this information with him, and, you know, um, he's going rogue, she hasn't told anyone yet, hopefully no one finds out, but this is where she's kind of conflicted, because her and Owen have a past... Claire and Owen don't have a pass, and it's not played for like, oh, I'm going to hold it over your head and neg you that we banged at one point because we're not adults. Like, it's held that they may have been married at one point. You know what I'm saying? Like, they may have had a major relationship either before this job or, you know, because of it, but at the same time, it's cooled down now, and they're like... You know, they still have deep feelings for each other, but at the same time, people do this. People put distance between each other. People uh, put up those walls because, you know, just of reasons. Uh, you could even have it that Claire is infertile, you know, because she's so caught up in her work. But the doctor had said that she was infertile because they tried to have children. And Owen wants children. Owen wants a family. You know, he's very blue collar. He's very classic Americana. Um and Claire just can't give that to him, nor does she desire it. She's a businesswoman. she rather, you know, go on vacations overseas to places like this park. You know, like, she'd rather live her life rather than have a family. Owen sees this. That's why they kind of give the idea that they're not together for a reason, but they still should, like, rather want to be, right? Um, so the kids are kind of a burden. Owen's like, hey, I'll take the kids out, you know, in the workplace. I'll keep them safe. You know, I'll protect them. Um, you know, I'm the best uh, zookeeper there is. Plus, I know all the safe spaces. I'm just going to show them, like, the baby animals, and then we'll split, right? Like, we'll come back. You won't have to care in the world. Also, you'll be free to do your, your work. That's how you're introducing the inner of the company, like all the little headquarter business places and stuff. Um, the genetic scientists can be introduced at this time, as, it, as are the, you know, the billionaire corporate leaders and stuff. They agree. This is where you're going to split up the two parties, the two major parties, which is Owen and the kids and um, Claire and the business people. There is no Indominus Rex. That's fucking stupid. What you do want to see, though, is a, a third protagonist, human protagonist, uh, or a human antagonist, I'm sorry, human antagonist be introduced. And that antagonist would be a type of environmentalist hacker like a cyber warfare uh, element or the cyber terrorist element but the cyber terrorists are motivated by their need their desire to free the dinosaurs they believe that this jurassic world uh park is absolutely an affront to nature and god is the most you know extreme form of animal cruelty um basically like the she the sea shepherd guys they're willing to go and stop and do whatever they can to 
uh, like Greenpeace and like uh, animal rights people. Like they hate the Jurassic World thing. Like have that be a big thing. Like there's protests, there's like movements, there are people being arrested um, because of it. At the same time, the rich are just like, let them eat cake. Like we don't really care. This is our favorite vacation spot is to like throw goats at T-Rexes and you know ride triceratopses and like like obviously they're just really disrespecting the dinosaurs like they don't give a shit that the dinosaurs are like you know a gift from science god they are really like oh this is just for our entertainment type thing like we're rich we own the world we own these dinosaurs we own everything we own you like type thing um Owen and the kids kind of witness this. This is how you introduce how the uh, the rich people are treating the dinosaurs. They kind of witness them being dicks and, like, you know, pollittering. And, like, you know, like I said, one tries to ride like a baby triceratops and that makes the mother mad. But because the the uh, guards, of the, like, the tour guides have those infrasound things, like, they, they basically stun the mom and so the mom can't defend the baby. And you can tell, like, it's really emotionally duressing the dinosaurs that these people are there and these people are just like loud and noisy and like the dinosaurs like peace and quiet and have like owen like mention that like oh you should see it when no one's here the dinosaurs really are happy you know like they, they they're where they belong but when people come they get all freaked out and fidgety and they don't act right like you can tell the difference between and he loves and obviously respects the dinosaurs. He's like, no, they should be, you know, left alone. And this is kind of all wrong. But at the same time, it's the only chance I'm going to get to work with them because of the only dinosaurs that exist. And if I'm going to do be like a dinosaur scientist, then, you know, and, and get to pet one eventually, you know, get to pet one. I, I have to put up with the good and the bad. He's made the compromise already. His life is a lot about compromise, right? Although he's he's already shown signs with the, his breakup with Claire because she's been infertile and she can't have a family and he wants one that he's willing to stand up for himself he's willing to draw a line in the sand and say he'll make sacrifices to you know ultimately do the uh, you know do what he thinks is the right thing you introduce them that he's actually like a pretty friendly guy like he's a pretty nice person he's good with the children and the children start taking to him and liking him and stuff and then the cyber terrorist is like attacking and like threatening the uh, the corporation with like a, a type of like he's gonna like turn off all the electricity he's gonna like attack the grid and you know power down Jurassic World if they don't give in his demands and pay him the ransom this is where you get why he's evil he's conflicted obviously he's got the animal rights thing but he's also doing it to hold them hostage he's doing it just for ransom and kind of mentioned that he's done it before this has happened before and like this is what happens when you negotiate with terrorists all the terrorists come out of the woodwork and they think they they'll you'll negotiate right so the corporate guy's there he's the indian guy in the film he's the kind of like indian uh richard branson and he's just like no i'm the negotiator you like you listen to me like i got to where i am the head of a trillion dollar company and i'm the richest man in india because i don't take bullshit from people like you you know scum like you and the guy's like all right nice speech and click and he hits it and then um the whole he hits his little hot key and then the whole grid shuts down so now they're on jurassic world there's a bunch of rich tourists um the predators generally are kept safe. Night's falling. Grid is off. 
all their stuff was based on the grid. All was wireless, all of it, their communication, all their technology, all their vehicles, their electric cars. Uh, there's like two or three gas-powered Jeeps still left on the island. Um, Owen knows where they are. Uh, and so he goes to get them with the kids. This is obviously going to lead into your main drama and your horror aspect of it because it's nighttime. He's escorting two children. A bunch of uh, tourists are now, you know, panicking at night. None of their stuff works. Uh, the corporation can't reach them, but it sends a party to anyway. So all their security basically gets sent out to go, you know, uh, get these rich people and bring them back. All your predators are now wandering around the fucking island, right? And inhabit to the point where, you can do this creatively, imagine always, but this is a very survival horror aspect of it where Owen has to keep quiet and he like buries the kids and leaves and mud. And then like you see the T-Rex that he's already knows is coming because he, he feels like the trembles or sees the puddle, classic puddle rip. Like you have like a puddle on the ground, it ripples because the T-Rex is coming and you know, you see the ripple the shockwave from the footsteps owen knows this he's an expert makes the kids hide in their fucking leaves they're like bitching like why makes them like shut the fuck up and hide and they stay still and then you see the t-rex walk by because that's how silent like they can sneak up on you you know like they don't really have to roar every time they walk around somewhere they can get right next to you you know because they are predators uh have the raptors eat the rich people um you know really get like in depth with the death too like really show people getting chewed like what it would be like if a, a very spoiled asian woman was eaten by a pterodactyl you know like really get into it <laughs> like like i mean i want to see some eyeballs get you know crushed out of some skulls when a raptor takes a good old bite in someone's head like i want i want to see that i want to feel that I want to live vicariously through the dinosaurs as they eat the rich, you know? And so you get that aspect of it. Um, so you have Owen trying to kind of get back to the corporation. The corporation's headquarters is a safe spot. At the same time, it's not because the raptors, they make it to the corporation headquarters. They can open doors. Um, dinosaurs are freaking out all over the island. It's now like into the first full day of no power. So people are getting thirsty. People are like, you know, uh, from like all over the place are kind of like wandering around and like not really getting what's going on yet. Like the maintenance crew is like, you know, trying to get the power started back on, but because it was like electronically caused and they can't communicate that because of, you know, security, they're like, okay, well, like, um, you know, everyone's working in vain. Everyone's very like futilely scrambling. And because it's been caused by the cyber attack, um, ultimately, their entire lifeline's been cut off. They're on this island. Uh, it's, in, it's not uh, Isla Sorna. Jurassic World is, was now in Dubai, right? Like, have it in the Middle East, um, you know, where it's just not the same. It's not like where America is going to go and, like, rescue them. Uh, there will be a government rescue, but, you know, it has to be, like, the Indian Coast Guard or something like that. Like, it's going to have to be the Saudi Arabian Coast Guard or something like that. When the, it's not bad, it's not possible, but it's not going to be held up to that standard where, like, you know, this is the Americans, this is the Saudi Arabians. Oh, so you then realize that this is, like, really kind of, like, you know, this was so far from home than it, well, it should have been. Um, and that 
it's just like they had too many raptors like you know they, they shouldn't have had so many they weren't supposed to have so many like there's hundreds of them running around um the t-rexes uh were kind of starved and like have that kind of implication like owen's like oh man like they should have been feeding the t-rex every day and they've only been feeding them once a week because they want them to be more aggressive to be more entertaining like really get the idea of this private zoo animal abuse and you don't have to get uh have the indominus rex just have a hungry t-rex just have a bunch of raptors who are intelligent and you know abused and like you know kept poorly so that they're very motivated to kill and eat as uh owen and the children uh drive back to the uh compound and the gas vehicle having to actually go get it and then uh, return with it um of course they're chased by the t-rex showing the parallels between the first movie and this new first movie um and then you get the really badass scene with the t-rex is like smashing through trees and stuff like to try to get them on a winding country road and then eventually um as they enter the compound the gate the estate of the corporate headquarters like the little hotel area you know it can't follow very easily so it kind of breaks off the chase or have them drive through a bunch of uh, triceratopses i think that's pretty cool like they just drive through a herd of triceratops gambling and the t-rex gets afraid like hey i'm not going to run through the horde of triceratops that's my natural enemy and uh they're able to survive because they you know they're just gung-ho gambling and they survive go to the uh, corporate complex claire is already full-on being sieged by the raptors the raptors eat the rich guy you know the boss um they eat the scientist who cloned them you know all that good shit they eat all the people who deserve to be eaten they all get their uh, you know up and comings then um you know you show them that that claire and owen have an idea they're gonna drive that jeep all the way to a boat the boats are in the regatta you know like the little survival boats they're gonna drive the boat out they're gonna use the boat's radio call for help you know uh get the coast guard to help them out right because obviously this has been a day uh they need to they need to get out here right like they can't stay forever obviously raptors are already breaking down doors and stuff they're gonna have to get to the boats get into the boats again this time they're chased by the raptors raptors chase them all the way to the marina uh at the very end t-rex busts in uh starts eating up, gobbling up the raptors you know the raptors turn around fight the t-rex you remember the first one when the t-rex beat all the raptors this one the raptors beat the t-rex they swarm over them like ants they eat them they kill them uh they use little toe knives to like stab them into his like you know his sides they bring down the t-rex basically all the little velociraptors bring down the t-rex while that's distracting them claire owen and the children uh get into the boat which is analog it's, it's not emp'd um and they sail off radio radioing um the dangers they survived radioing the uh, saudi arabian coast guard and while they do that you see that mosasaur from the classic you know the first that movie the best thing in the movie was the mosasaur uh, and they have it shown exactly like it was like how big it is eating the shark basically being an orca it jumps out of its little like it's it's enclosure its tank is connected to the ocean like real world tanks for like whale sharks are in japan or like you know like big modern day aquariums are basically connected to the ocean 
and the creatures are assumed to be so large they can't really escape, but they have a continuous and fresh supply of seawater, you know, in their tank, and they have a lot of room to grow around. It's basically like the modern trend in aquarium design is to kind of create these organic uh, aquariums in, into, like, the wild. Like, they look basically very natural. Um, so in this universe, the Mosasaurus tank is right next to the shore. And so you see that the gate is kind of knocked in, and then the Mosasaurus just knocks the gate. You see the doors, you know, slam open, and the Mosasaurus swims out. The last scene is you see them on top as the helicopter flying in to save the boat, the, and the, the boat that Claire... Owen, like the little yacht that Claire Owen and the children are on, the light shines down from the helicopter. The Mosasaur jumps up to try to snatch the helicopter, misses, splashes back down, swims off. You see the shadow swimming off into the dark ocean at night. In roll credits, Jurassic World. Uh, this is how it ends. Because not only do you get the last scene, which counts for your Owen, like Claire and Owen's arms, they're all sweaty, having survived, and it sure being like, hey, let's give it another chance, you know, we can always adopt type thing. And she's like, yeah, why didn't we think of that? Like, you know, like we really do love each other and we really do make a good pair, but we can make it work. We can also make it work type thing, which is exactly how Jurassic World ended, the first one. They're like, yeah, we'll make it work. And the kids are there, you know, being like, oh, wow, I guess we got too much than we bargained for. We wanted to see dinosaurs not almost be eaten by them. You know, like, oh, that's wacky. Like, that's what kids are in the movie. And then, um, you know, you've already said that and explained that. By the end of it, they look up, the helicopter's coming down to rescue them. You have this giant last uh, jump scare where no one really dies. And no one, nothing nearly gets destroyed because that would be too much of a downer. But you do get the fact that there's a danger now into the world, an element in the world that has never been expected. And that is the release of dinosaurs, or at least for this time being, marine dinosaurs and air dinosaurs with the uh, pterodactyls. Right, so basically, dinosaurs are no longer controlled. We're going to get into that environment to the second film, Jurassic Park World: Fallen Kingdom, which is the sequel. Okay. Um, Jurassic World: Fallen Kingdom, ostensibly, is about the return to the island, uh, and they're going to try to kidnap dinosaurs to sell on the black market as weapons of war the dumbest fucking plot in the world the movies is one of the worst movies i've ever seen um even those sci-fi movies about dinosaurs sometimes are better carnosaur is better than like any for any element of carnosaur is better better than the last film in jurassic park world franchise which is a jurassic park, uh a jurassic world fallen kingdom absolute terrible fucking movie uh i mean like what were they thinking it's as bad as Jurassic World 3, if not worse, but without any of the excuses. <laughs> without any of the excuses of it just being like one of those where you're like, oh, yeah, but behind the scenes, it was an absolute train wreck. They didn't have a script. You know, they fired directors and stuff like that. Like, it's one of those things where it's justifiably bad if you know the the methods that were put into it, like the pains, the birth pains. But at the same time, it's not because this movie like I said, has come off the heels of a billion-dollar-making uh, uh, film. You know, this was something that they were like, 
how do we intentionally fuck it up? Because they did a good job doing that. So we're trying to fix it by entirely scrapping it. By kind of keeping the fact that you want to have Owen and Claire again be involved with it. And you kind of want to resemble Jurassic Park Lost World. And by kind of resemble, go like shot for shot and just do the same thing but be a proxy for Jurassic World, uh, Jurassic, uh, Jurassic Park Lost World. So, let's do our best in doing that. After the events of Jurassic World, um, after the park has fallen into the terrorists and, you know, all that kind of, you begin with your court scene and it's the cyber terrorists who originally destroyed the Jurassic Park uh, Jurassic World, I mean, uh, he's on trial. He's on trial for murder and, you know, terrorism and, and extortion and stuff like that. He's, he's going to go to jail for a long time. But he's able to speak in his defense and his final statement is his defense of his actions, saying how, you know, the dinosaurs, uh, you know, deserve to be free and that people are playing God and this is the most dangerous thing we could do to, because we don't even know the consequences or the implications. And they're like, you don't even know the consequences. Like, yeah, I do. All I did was uh, kill people. You know, all I did was kill people. And that's fine because people are, you know, here already. Like, that, that we're natural. But dinosaurs aren't. And the fact that we're playing God, you know, basically yada, yada, yada. But they're, like, guilty, right? You watch that and you see that <laughs> Claire and Owen have become parts of this terrorist organization. They have because it's not a terrorist organization the same way Greenpeace isn't a terrorist organization, although they are uh, guilty of acts of terror um, historically. Like historically, there have been members of Greenpeace who have gone to jail for terrorism, but they are themselves not a terrorist organization. You know what I'm saying? Like if you know about eco-terrorism, this is a kind of like a thing. So they're a member of the eco-terrorists, but they're like the gentle side of it. Like, they don't really support what this guy did, but now they are full-on dino-huggers. Like, that that could be a slur for them. These guys are dino-huggers. You know, like, they they don't they just love dinos. They don't love people. They love dinos. Like, that would be kind of a thing. You're a dino-hugger. Um, you know, you stupid hippie. And, like, they are... But they are still, you know, professionals. They they have made a lot of money from their former job. They have, like, book deals. They're on, like, people. You know, like, I mean, they're on, like, uh, you know, people's shows, like Good Morning America and stuff. And they're given their, their opinion and their survival story. So they're local celebrities. They've helped make the, pop, the movement very popular, right? Now, there are going to be three different types of stories because there are three different plots in the Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. And I do believe in the rule of three. I believe in the interconnectivity of three plots, especially when you're doing uh, second installment sequels of proposed trilogies. This is a proposed trilogy, uh, both in real life and in this experiment, this uh, script experiment. So we're going to have to do the three plot thing. First plot, Claire Owen. They're uh, the dino huggers. They're the bleeding hearts and they're the uh, radicals, right? With the experience in dinosaurs. So ultimately, that's their... That's their thing. That's This is going to be part of their arc. There's a second story involving um, the scientists and stuff who originally worked on the DNA. And they're kind of whistleblowers on themselves. 
because they don't want to really be involved in any criminal activity, but they know that they will be involved in, or indicted on it if, you know, this evidence that they're hoping to find comes out. So they're like this kind of a rogue neutral element, right? Then you have this third element, and that's this cartel family. Yes, a drug lord is your third element. Basically, he owns a massive amount of jungle in a unspecified Latin American country. Could be Colombia, could be Venezuela, could be Brazil, could be Costa Rica, could be Nicaragua, whatever. You, dealer's choice, right? You will specify. It won't be just like the parts unknown, but dealer's choice. Make it somewhere. Make him be the central power and authority. He's like, he's not Scarface. But he's rather like that gentleman, uh, like gentleman drug lord, like Pablo Escobar, where he's not only making entire, like really kind of church it up. Where not only is he a drug dealer, but he's like kind of a noble drug dealer, like a, like a drug baron. You know, like the whole community respects him and uh, they do whatever he says and he's good to them. But he's still like a drug dealer. You know what I'm saying? He's still wanted by Interpol. He's still like. You know, uh, he's making his billions through through obvious, you know, moving the cocaine and stuff. He's got his family on his estate. And his family has, you know, a very pretty daughter, a very pretty wife, the, the help, all that. And his bodyguards, right? And he's got a very, you know, like, cherished family. He loves them. But what he's been doing with his wealth and for his own entertainment and his own like bullshit latino macho type attitude what he's been doing to like satisfy himself and his friends is he is a dino poacher that's right he hunts the most dangerous game and to him that's dinosaurs so he's been hiring scientists that have worked on that lab and worked under that asian doctor who got eaten by the raptor uh, to clone him dinosaurs because that it's just highest bidder. I know it's a extremely expensive uh, scientific undertaking, but someone who's a billionaire could do it. Like Hammond was a billionaire, he's a billionaire. He could have his own Jurassic Park, and he does. So it's a safari, and he doesn't really care about the dinosaurs' well-being, even the herbivores and stuff. He's trying to create the most exciting hunt possible. So he's, like, injecting them full of steroids, and he's injecting them full of, like, rabies, and, like, you know, fucking starving them and sitting around in the wild and, like, making them fight each other like dogs. Like, you know, like he's definitely on the abusive side of the dino trade, and his goal is to basically keep hunting these dinos, but also to make a profit of doing it and kind of make like an international blood sport at dino hunting. So this is going to be his auction night, right? When, the, when all these events take place because the idea of an auction was very prevalent in Fallen Kingdom, they're not for weapons. They're for personal poaching and personal hunting and like blood sport and stuff like... Um, okay, you remember the scene from Django, uh, Django Unchained where the two guys are, the two slaves are fist fighting to death? And the two gentlemen are just watching on the on the sofa in front of the fireplace, watching two men beat each other to death with their bare fists. That. I want that aesthetic to be when you watch the dinosaurs fight. It's not cool. It's fucking brutal and bloody and vicious and carnal. And it's just a, people acting like God. It's just people playing God, like making two, two uh, T-Rexes fight or two raptors fight to the death. Um, 
you know, this is classic, just this is what organized criminals really do. They're fucking crazy. You know, they are fucking crazy. Like, let's just say that. Like, um, you could have it to the point where the guy's advertising the T-Rexes or the Raptors is the perfect way to dispose of people because you can throw them to the Raptors and they'll eat the bones. Like, they'll eat everything, including the bones. Like, you can just, you know, make them eat your enemies and stuff. Like, not go to sick them, hunt the enemies, but, you know, you have your enemy just tied up and you just throw them to the T-Rex and they eat them. It's fun. You know, like... Like, don't make it where, like, the movie was where you shoot a laser and the dinosaur runs and eats them. Just straight up, like, no, no, if you want to, like, terrify someone, just make them, like, like, bring out your raptor on a chain and then have him, like, you know, disembowel the dude with his toe claw. Like, you know, he's like a Ginsu knife, you know, that, that takes, you know, that you can feed kibbles and bits to, you know. Like, it's definitely something on that line. The animal rights people have heard about this. They have information. They've smuggled in video. They've even lost a couple of people going to investigate this guy's plantation. It's not, it's an open secret. It's not, it's a, considered a conspiracy theory. But amongst uh, even law enforcement and uh, the scientific community and like the elite criminals of the world, it's a very much well known that this is where you go po- hunt dinosaurs. Like if you want to shoot a T Rex, you go to this guy's ranch, right? Um, they sneak on as the as the staff as the help, and then break away to kind of get more insider information. Like they want, like to actually hack into his computers or find out where his like genetic laboratories are, so they can like GPS signal them and stuff. So basically, they want to know where this guy is really breeding these dinosaurs. How is he getting them? Stuff like that. What they're going to find out. Um, through the help of the daughter, because she doesn't believe in the hunting either, like, and have it be that it's something weird, like, she's had to live in a house with dinosaur heads on the wall and listen to her father brag about killing dinosaurs, and she really loves dinosaurs, like, have her have, like, a little toy dinosaur, or, like, have her have, like, little dinosaur pajamas, you know, like, like, little footy pajamas with a dinosaur head on it, and she's really adorable, and she loves dinosaurs to death, but, you know, she just is really broken up inside at such a young age that her father is a fucking psychopath killing dinosaurs for sport, you know, because he's a drug lord. And um, that there's a lot of, you know, internal uh, things going on. So she basically shows them where, what's going on. They're not cloning the dinosaurs. They're just capturing them from the wild. And they're like, what? That's fucking even more shocking they're capturing them from the wild like and they're like yeah um there are parts of the jungle that the dinosaurs just are you can find them like you can find them and that my father who has this army of drug dealers and drug connections and stuff during their smuggling stumbled onto a bunch of dinosaurs one day like stegosaurus or something and, and we we're like holy shit like we got to call the boss and that's when they started collecting and hunting these dinosaurs. They're caught elsewhere in the jungle and brought to the ranch. And every time one's found, they catch it and they give them a bounty for it. So they're not cloning them. The dinosaurs are natural now. They're an invasive species. They're, that's, that, that's just how, you know, the jungle works. You know, there are a lot of unexplored places of the jungle even today. Uh, believe it or not, the cartels are really the only people that are out there. And so this would be the first people to discover that dinosaurs have 
survived and moved from Isla Nublar, or moved from uh, Isla Sonora onto the mainland are these uh, drug lords and they found them and that they believe because they own the country that these are their animals that this is not something that they have to even disclose because they found them literally on their property all they're doing is hunting the land hunting the land they own and so they feel like i guess at this point like you get to the point where they're already addressing the drug lord who's you know clearly discovered them through his own security system and stuff that he's like I know you're not a threat. Like, I am more worried about people who are coming to kill me and my family for my drug operation. You're just like hippies. Like, I don't really ever worry about these guys. But you guys got so, you know, far into my compound. At least I'm going to tell you my evil plan before I, like, you know, uh, I guess, like, I guess kill you. It's like, I guess kill you. Like, what, what does the drug lord do when the people who sneak into his house? Uh, he's got to feed him to the dinosaurs. That's what he's going to do. And then he's like, yeah, like, I've, I've heard, I've seen people coming into my land before, but because the dinosaurs usually get them, I'm not the one, like, who's really, I'm not interested in killing innocent people. Like, I'm interested in just killing the dinosaurs, so I'm not like, a, like, I'm not like Satan, you know? Like, he has his own justification, too. It's that, like, anything else, like hunting a tiger, hunting a lion, hunting a bear, you know? Like, it's just you hunt a predator because it's fun and it's a challenge. It's not because you're an intentionally cruel person. And so they go, uh, you know, they're broadcasting this information, of course. They, you know, so the GPS and stuff to their scientific background, uh, their, their supporters. And what happens is uh, the supporters have hired a uh, team of mercenaries, a, um, you know, to airstrike the area, to go in. Uh, they, they take out the drug dealers. They take out the, uh, the rogue and, you know, dangerous dinosaurs. And then they also start taking out all the dinosaurs they can see via helicopter. They're flying around, just mowing them down. Uh, this is obviously not what they, Claire or Owen wanted, and it's not what the little girl wanted. And it's the point now that you're starting to add up that the scientists, the second, uh, second plot line out of the three, as these now intersect, the scientists had wanted Claire and Owen to go down there simply to tell them where they were so they could eliminate the dinosaurs and thus take all their responsibility for this invasive species you know take as much of it as away as possible like you know eliminate that evidence you know as they can and they thought this would be a place to do it i thought you know this would be their cloning lab this would be this guy's you know um uh data storage or whatever so they end up blowing up the house claire and owen escape with the little girl the drug dealers families killed otherwise uh, the drug dealers, you know, army is stuck in this battle. Uh, Owen and Claire run off into the jungle, you know, and it's then a type of survival horror again where they're trying to make as much progress through the jungle at night as possible, um, you know, to where they originally came in through their little, like, craft. Uh, they send, they, they, they can't, you know, radio for help or anymore because the scientists are just as likely to kill them to cover up their involvement with it. Uh, the drug dealers are looking for them. You know, they're all pissed, uh, because of what's going on. You know, they're looking for any intruder to kill them. You know, it's not a good time to be a Blanco hombre right now. And so, um, they go out into the jungle and they find at this point, just a group of villagers, and they're like native Amazonians, you know, they're like an uncontacted tribe. 
and the uncontacted tribe like sees them sees that they need help like gives them that noble like silent help that these amazonians are kind of known for but in their village as they kind of like look up in the stars they realize that this level of humanity this like uh, kindness and compassion is found in this indigenous level and maybe all the evil that they've experienced um like claire and owen maybe all this radicalization maybe all this extreme danger and this playing god maybe it, the root of it is modernity and civilization and technology like the very fundamental root of this evil is technology itself because now they are in the midst being taken care of and protected by people who have nothing but spears and campfires and little huts and they're kind of worried that these these dinosaurs these people are defenseless against these dinosaurs like owen's like he doesn't get it you know Owen's like well what they don't even have guns they don't even have like uh like lights like electricity or like radios like they are going to get like destroyed once these dinosaurs find them and then the chief like goes to check up on them and see that they're safe and the chief has a necklace of velociraptor talons those big sickle nine inch long talons that are their like death toes you know like their, their, their talons like those sickle claws and he's got a necklace of them stating that these creatures have existed at least for several years and that these amazonians have known about it and not only that these amazonians have learned to hunt them and to learn to coexist with them but have also learned not to fear them which gives not only hope uh, for humanity but kind of champions the fact that humanity ultimately will survive and this is our world but now with the elements of that the technology to get the fallen kingdom element was our security was our arrogance was our corruption was our uh, society and technology as embodied by the drug lord and his ranch as well as the uh, the evils of the genetic cyst and their mercenaries and um, ultimately Claire and Owen's extremism and their blind uh, love and adoration for this extremely dangerous invasive species that is the dinosaurs. But the dinosaurs are still kept at a very morally neutral position, being that they are simple creatures. They do not have that intelligence for evil, except for the raptors. But at the same time, it's a they give what they are given. They they have a you know a equal feedback that the more they are treated hostily and abused by the corrupt, evil people who play God and try to rule over them, uh, you know, bring them back into extinction, uh, existence from extinction, then they return with savagery and with deadliness and with ferocity, uh, fatally striking out and um, killing anyone who underestimates them uh, regardless of uh, their like regardless of who that person is they don't see right and wrong they just see that they are uh, strong and you are weak and that is kind of the nature of the Jurassic Park dinosaurs that's the nature of the velociraptors especially um, I believe we're getting too far off the mark with like for example psychic or uh, trained velociraptors and the idea of they imprint information through sound and that they can 
uh, demonstrate like being parents and mothers. Like, I think Fallen Kingdom had a terrible message and absolutely missed the mark on any kind of uh, poignancy or, or uh, triumph of theme. I believe that it was an absolute failure. So this hopefully corrects that. Uh, my treatment on uh, how I would do Jurassic World and Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. And uh, I know these were cursory summaries and plots, but these are original and these are uh, of course uh, done with complete respect and honor to these uh, franchises. So hopefully um, they will, you know, be listened to and appreciated by those two enough to put it in the National Film Registry as a nation, as a culture, as a people, you know, as, as, a, as a generation, that we deserve better than this. And I believe that billion-dollar uh, box office take, that was because we gave it a chance. We had hope in this. We, it felt that special to us that it was being reinvented with such a... Uh, a large budget and such a large uh, potential and that is that much more insulting to us as a objective intelligent audience that they present this material the way they did uh, strictly strictly to cash out on it so hopefully this is uh, an approach that that provides that kind of maturity and uh, gravitas to the subject that is the survival horror franchise that is uh Jurassic Park world and Jurassic Park Jurassic world uh, so thank you all very much for listening I will be uh, completing my third installment of this Capstone trilogy the completely original um, script and story summary a little bit later on but I will be doing it ASAP after this video so this is the first part and stay tuned for the second part Namaste and Shalom Iron sharpens iron and a friend sharpens a friend this has been Rumors of War 1987. Please give this video a like. Subscribe to this channel if you haven't already. Uh, consider sharing this to any kind of social media or message board, uh, such as 4chan. Deeply appreciate it. Deeply appreciate the traffic um, that's generated by you, the audience, and your support for this channel. Definitely read the description box below. Uh, consider supporting um, with a small donation. Consider uh, checking out the Patreon, seeing what rewards I have in the tier list. And thank you, and God bless you for your viewership, and God bless your families. Yeah, I guess.
timeline. Um, you know, so we're going to try to um, run through this. I have a script treatment, an original story uh, that would serve as an appropriate and amazing uh, ending for uh, this Jurassic World trilogy and the Jurassic Park franchise. It's still going to keep the same title, Jurassic World Dominion. It's going to follow the same um, themes that are present in the first and second movie as I reimagined them and improved them in my own treatment in the previous video I've done the segment. I'll link it below in the comment box. Please also, if this is a good time to do it, uh, like this video. If you like it, dislike it. If you don't like it, definitely leave a little mark to let me know you were here. I appreciate all feedback, and I consider it, uh, you know, constructive criticism. That's all I ask is that you uh, leave a comment below. Everybody's encouraged to subscribe to this channel if you haven't already, and definitely share this with anyone that you might think might profit from it or feel uh, some great, you know, enjoyment from it. It has an entertainment value. So, now, we're going to be doing this as a creative exercise for my own and an outlet for these thoughts, as well as a respect and an homage to the um, Jurassic World, Jurassic Park franchise. Um, we're going to get into it. I'm not going to give, uh, this isn't a script treatment where I'm going to be giving lines of dialogue, but I am going to be running through the plots and trying to explain some key uh, visual elements as we go along and kind of, uh, you know, uh, flesh out this ride. I have a script written down, which is rare for me. Uh, the last uh, videos were done improvisational, were basically drawn um, from my own thoughts and my ideas on this matter that I've been having, and kind of let, like, the flow, the chin, the, uh, you know, zen of it really kind of uh, flow through me. But now I'm kind of uh, more prepared and uh, definitely a little bit more well thought out and planned. So, let's see. So, we'll go with the title card, Jurassic World, um, and then it begins with the uh, verse from Genesis that mankind was created and has dominion over all life on Earth. And that's going to be kind of a poignant uh, foreshadowing for the arc of uh, humanity in this entire uh, uh, experience this narrative so this is going to be act one the first act of course of three acts like going to give some background as it starts going to be initial like slide um you know opening credit treatment your godzilla is a good uh franchise that utilizes very well all the monarch movies that legendary produces and the monsterverse always give very good uh preamble and exit credit scenes i believe uh King Kong Skull Island has one of the best intro, um, you know, preamble slides, background slides, uh, telling not only the story, but setting up the universe. So, this is going to take place at the Fallen Kingdom. Uh, remember, in my original treatment, because all these are going off of the original momentum, I'm, uh, the momentum of my original stories, um, Owen and Claire had just survived uh, their... Uh, Adventures in Latin America, where they investigated a uh, cartel leader who was um, operating and starting a international blood sport um, for dinosaurs uh, for profit, and that uh, he was poaching and basically conducting these illegal dinosaur safaris, but 
also that the dinosaurs were uh, an invasive species and they were spreading throughout Latin America because they were saved and uh, spent time with a native tribe that was already hunting them and had adapted and assimilated to them and uh, to their existence. So, this is going to take place after that. Owen and Claire have taken over the eco-movement as time has moved forward. It's about five years after that. So, Owen and Claire have taken over the eco-movement. Um, they have made it legitimate. They have made a legitimate political party, like the Green Party, or like the environmentalist parties now. They have, like, the huge population show them leading rallies and speeches and protests and, like, nationwide protests, like Greta, like Greta, whatever her name was, Thurnberg. Um... Yeah, the dinos are invasive species, and they are spreading throughout South America. We the Amazon, um, the many nations, and the Gulf Coast down there in Latin America. And we see the different um, strategies that they're being handled with. Some are using the army to try to eradicate them. Um, some are using... Um, you know, private contractors to try to capture them, and uh, some were getting assistance by the United States, some were building zoos and, and like reserves of their own, but the ones that are being helped with, with the United States are being sent to um, Florida. Okay, we see this via the news, we see this via viral video clips, we see this with, like, internet conspiracy theorists, like, you know, mounting up, they're putting the dinosaurs in Florida to help spread them and kill Americans or whatever. And, um, every nation is handling it differently with, you know, like locals endangered. Uh, then it shows the human toll, that locals and villages are going missing, uh, entire villages are disappearing, uh, shepherds and ranchers are losing many, like, heads of cattle, it's affecting the economy, it's affecting the environment, like, native fauna is going extinct, etc., etc., um, due to this increased pressure. So you really see that it's like two sides. Like, yes, humans are calling the dinosaur herds, but at the same time, the dinosaur herds are, um, you know, displacing human beings and, and pre-existing animals, right? The delicate balance of the, like, Amazon rainforest and stuff. So the political party has had success in lobbying and creating a, a game reserve in the Everglades of Florida, specifically to preserve the dinosaurs that they have uh, reclaimed from the Central uh, South American nations that participate, like Brazil, and that all the uh, like select specimens are being sent over there for future study and for uh, safe habitat, and so they can live their lives naturally, right, and be watched in an, in an environment that's specifically catered to keep not only humans but people safe, right? So this is like basically they formed a national park, a national game reserve in the Everglades, specifically for dinosaurs. Okay. Um, then you show it like the actual park. I guess you could show it like being built up or finalized or finished and, and opened and then the dinosaurs quickly filling up the grounds. And this is a massive park, but we're going to really kind of allude to it here in kind of miniature and we're going to get the macroscopic for just how big it really is. But it fills up quickly, you know what I'm saying? This is like, within a year, it's already basically a, a bustling, fully operational game reserve, uh, specifically catering to uh, dinosaurs. <coughs> so then you go back to the, now you flash forward to the current year. Um, say that was five years ago. Uh, see, the, from the Fallen Kingdom, five years hence. Then you show like a little time has passed into the future through that age progression where you show like the uh, the ground laying ceremony for the reserve and then it being filled and it being filled with the dinosaurs or, or finished and then filled with the dinosaurs. 
Um, and then now you've kind of taken over so that you go into a city, um, say Miami, downtown. There are two activists, uh, Burning Man types, right? They're obviously hardcore, you know, um, counterculture people, but they're middle-aged, but they're extremely attractive. They're very fit. They look like, you know, you're very, um, like, I guess you would call it, uh, your adventurer types, you know, like, the guy obviously got, like, you know, a cool, like, v-neck, uh, like, shirt, Burning Man, like, uh, jewelry, and the girl's got, you know, a tan, and, like, she's a white girl with dreadlocks or something, she's got, like, a nose piercing and, you know, full-on, like, um, sleeves and stuff, like, tattoos, so you think, man, these people are pretty, like, whatever they do, they're pretty cool, you know what I'm saying? When they're sitting in an office that's very much like Parks and Recs, and this is kind of the visual joke, is how you guys set it up, is that the office is very bland, and it's very much like this PC like uh, stagnant shallow pool of um, you know personality and these people stand out like you know it's pretty shocking it's night and day like they're very much like they're high and like you know they obviously look like they just came off a beach and stuff or maybe from hiking and um, these people look like they, the other people look like they never really seen anything besides fluorescent light and haven't eaten anything uh, other than fast food, you know, for their entire lives. So you really get to see that these people stand out. These people are very, like, you know, above and beyond um, the others. So they get called into their meeting. Uh, I'm going to call them Adam and Amazon. So AA. So this kind of lists, like, how they're introduced. AA, you know, like, in alphabetic uh, credit. So Adam and Amazon are being greeted by a business lady type. Adam and Amazon are being hired to spy on the reserve as insiders due to suspected... Uh, yeah, they're going to be uh, spies, and they're going to go in as insiders. This lady's going to get them all their credentials and their paperwork all set up because she is part of the NG, the political party that Owen and Claire have set up, and you can establish that by pictures on the desk and everything, or on the office, um, that this is their political party, and she is a member of it, like a high-ranking authority in it, right? But she's being kind of like a uh, rogue at the moment. So she has to keep this all kind of hush-hush. While she's a natural at it and has experience and has obviously like managed this before, this is still kind of like, well, it's obvious that she's dealing with these people, but she's obviously like, no, I'm on my own. Like, I have no other authority. This is me doing this because, you know, this is what I have to do to in the company. This is my, my position in the company is I do weird shit like this. Like uh, dirty work style stuff. Uh, she's going to get them all their paperwork, and because she suspects there's corporate infiltration in the game reserve, specifically uh, embezzling and exploiting the contract that the government of the United States has with their NGO to uh, siphon funding and ultimately consider uh, commit fraud, which will jeopardize the entire yada yada political party's standing, reputation, as well as their lucrative contracts. So she's doing this for strictly political and business reasons and um, the cover story is that, or basically the mission is she suspects corporate infiltration uh, she can't really say for who for sure but she suspects there's going to be a lot going on because uh, they have a dual partnership with InGen and former employees of InGen to continue their genetics research 
on a uh, you know on a genetic level for the uh, dinosaurs that they're getting to see how diseases have affected them to see how they've adapted to the environment to see how you know yada yada xxyz when it comes to the scientific reasons why engine is allowed access to these uh, dinosaurs um and what they're really looking for right but she suspects something's going on because it's getting really weird like the reports are coming in they're very concerning um, suspicious activities occur, occurred, even going so far as having people check into laboratories, you know, in odd hours and material going missing and, you know, just there's no communication really between the two. And uh, Injun thinks that they're superiors. So they don't really have like uh, a good business relationship with them, right? So, um... To the business lady, the dinosaurs are just paychecks, and the government fed boy IRS may terminate the NGO's funding, etc. So yes, she's basically more worried about the IRS than the dinosaurs at this moment, right? She thinks like the biggest uh, threat to their uh, safety is going to be the, you know, the accountants that are going to audit them and then find because she's this is how she's thinking. She's not thinking that they're doing anything with the dinosaurs. She's thinking strictly dollars and cents that they are fucking with the money somehow embezzling it and uh the irs is going to shut them all down and maybe even throw them in jail you know what i'm saying like so she wants proof of that she's sending these two people in for proof um so this is where you get your antagonist a and your protagonist a right so basically your first uh, levels of antagonist and protagonist your antagonist you're made to want to like are adam and amazon their goals to spy on the lab and to get access to all the uh the secret goings on the stakes the ngo's corporate contract and thus their payday the size of their payday obviously you know the better job they do this, this is something that they're hoping to retire or at least fund their lifestyle which can get pretty expensive being a adventurer like you know a point break style where they're robbing banks to afford to surf for a living and um of course dinosaurs because they even mentioned that like you want us to uh sneak they first of all they think they're going to sneak into the lab like you want us to sneak into the laboratory past dinosaurs and guard dogs are bad enough you know guards are bad enough let alone dinosaurs that are you know only in this one area and that no one's ever really you know had a good experience with like you know these people these things are pretty fucking dangerous and uh, the action is they're going to go undercover with the passes, with legitimate paperwork, with with proven, uh, you know, key codes and access to other places. They're going to go with secret identities, and uh, they're going to be given secret espionage gear, some high-tech spy gear to help complete the job. They just have a wish list, right? They're like, hey, we have a wish list. We, we can't work without it. And the other... The last job we had, you know, they made us give us back their gear, even the stuff they didn't give us type thing. Um, the biz lady, her goals are <clears throat> discover engine secrets to keep the status quo, the loss of money, the contracts, the illegal activity. She has gonna, her actions are um, she's going to hire the spies and uh, later, basically, you know, you'll find out. Basically, her, her actions are going to be limited to hire the spies. So then you kind of have a flash forward, like kind of a, not a montage, but you show forward the next scene that uh, the location is changed into the new higher orientation room at the reserve at Jurassic Park. Welcome to Jurassic Park. You know, it's a very corporate and uh, PC, but green and good-hearted uh 
park atmosphere, just like working at a major city zoo or any like real game reserve. Like everyone is very welcome and included, but at the same time, it's very much like um, sign these waiver forms, sign these you know forms that you know uh, abdicate our responsibility. You know the risk kind of getting in here. Also, let me explain the risk again, just because you don't know. Like there are dinosaurs here; they're very dangerous. No one breaks curfew. No one leaves at night. No one goes outside without uh, permission, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So basically, but everyone's wearing like khaki shorts and like you know, it looks like they work at an aquarium. Like they're very uh, tanned and fit and very like you know smirky and uh, positive because this is kind of like the people that they're screening and hiring. And then you show in the audience Adam and Amazon. They're amongst many new hires, like a few new hires, but they definitely stand out because not only are they a lot older, but they look like, you know, look pretty badass and hardcore compared to the other kids. Like, the other kids look like they're college seniors, like 22-year-olds, things like that, and these guys are, like, into their early 40s. Even though they are extremely fit, like, they have, you know, the sleeve tattoos and the piercings, which they've tried to play down, but... You know, like, it's very obvious that even when they're trying to go straight-laced and conservative, that they're still, you know, very, um, you know, cool and hot. You know, there's no real other way to say that, but they're, like, obviously, like, we tried to be unsexy, we just can't. Like, my, like his abs are too popping and her, you know, uh, legs are too long type thing. Like, she's Laura Croft trying to act like she's, like... Yay, like, I'm excited for the orientation. Like, thank you for the bag of swag type thing. Like, oh, my God, is this a bumper sticker? Go oh, cool. A little iPhone? Oh, my God, like, soap. You know, like, it's obvious that she could be, she could care less. She's into, like, wild, you know, party things like that. Like, she wants to do, like, acid and then skydive down uh, in Coachella and stuff like that. So are in the audience and they're bored but they're blending in with everybody they got ID passes you show their ID passes you show them uh, their credentials like they have fake names and everything uh, their behavior is totally 180 like they're trying to be enthused and stuff but it's very obvious they're not um, they're showing a video of this and it's the scene where this great white shark is uh, bumps into someone's head that's kind of proved to them that they have to be on guard and always have their head on a swivel and I kind of wanted to share this because it really is a funny thing like they're, they'd say like oh you don't think a T-Rex could sneak up on you how could something that weighs 30 tons and is like 25 feet long sneak up on you and they show this like the great white shark bumping them like and they're like oh, okay we get it like you know like this, this is a very like dangerous place. This is like swimming with sharks. This is like you know walking with elephants. This is like working with lions, and um, it's going to come into play later because the uh, the Carnotosaurus is a major antagonistic dinosaur. It's a major predator for them, and it's completely cloaked. So the idea of something in that large and that dangerous being able to sneak that close to up to you that it bumps you in the back of the head. Um, to inspect you, that's going to happen later on. But that's that's the reason why I have that clip in there and why I'm going to be saying it now. They meet um, the full-timers. The full-timers are just like kids. They're cute, but they're college kids, and they're like research students, and, gr- and they have like grants from the government. Like they're the best of the best when it comes to zoology, wildlife management, et cetera, et cetera. Um, 
you know, they're going to be pretty cool uh, to everybody, so they're not really going to, it's going to be like comic relief, but they're like, we'll just show you how these are the people who would be, you know, the interns at Jurassic Park. These would be the people who are just excited to be there, and I think it's the coolest thing in the world. They have, like, no clue or expect, they, they understand the dangers, but, you know, just like all college kids, they're very enthusiastic to be there and excited about life. Then you talk to the park rangers and the game wardens. Like they show up, and the park rangers are like your super troopers crew. Like they're just a bunch of chuckleheads and like you know knuckleheads, and uh, they mean well. They're kind of just jocks, but you know they're funny and friendly. They but you know obviously park rangers. So and the game warden boss, he's going to be important. The game warden boss. We're going to call him GW. A very serious Ron Swanson type of blue collar, but sarcastic, tough guy who is honest, not mean. They watch a short video on park safety that is straightforward, funny, and gory. And it's visibly a comedic, dry foreshadowing of the dangers in the film. But when, ultimately, he assures them that they will be safe, they ask a lot of questions, and he keeps answering that they will be safe. Even though he's obviously done his job and shocked everyone, and like, 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 just obviously imply that he showed them the remains of people eaten by dinosaurs or like you know like obviously like stepped on or just just terrible gory like highway of blood type images if anyone remembers that from the driver safety class you know and it's very much like everyone who's new is just has their hand up except for the amazon and adam guy they're just like the spies they're just like oh wow like this is like that was cool type thing like that they were like that was cool like can we watch that again because they're bored but they're like they, just, they know that they're more mature than that um but they were like oh that, that is and everyone else is like oh like you know wow did you see that holy shit he's kind of happy with himself GW is kind of like chuckling himself like <laughs> like yeah every time um so lastly it's the CEOs so you have two bosses two female bosses one of them is the CEO of Engine Labs she's going to be called the executive she wears a lab coat and her counterpart is the NGO executive uh the park manager she's going to be called the NGO boss they're two females, two entirely polar opposites. They're two different ways of managing. One is, uh, you know, cold and couldn't care less. She's very distracted. She's obviously, you know, doing other things mentally. Um, she's the executive, and the NGO boss is the one who genuinely would listen to her employees to understand how she could make their day better. You know, she would be the one who's actively working alongside people to accomplish tasks. Very optimistic. Very uh, motivated. You know, very, very sweet, nice person, right? So basically, that's your dichotomy. You have the NGO boss. He's a very nice boss. And you have your engine executive. And she just is very cold. She's just there because it's company, you know, culture. And she has to kind of be there to greet all the new hires. Exactly. You know, like, just etc. She knows this is not really where she wants to be. And they give the classic, welcome to Jurassic Park. Right? Like she's like, she's like, oh, I love when I get to say this. Welcome to Jurassic Park. So they're like, okay, here's your first tour and orientation from the full-timers to the new hires. All together, no people take two Jeeps into the reserve. Um, all right, that's page. Oh, 
Okay, yep. So, yeah. Sorry about that. Yeah, so they go on the first tour. I've already explained the two people. And so they're basically like, welcome to Jurassic Park. You know, we're going to let you go on and, and see stuff. I'm going to be your boss. I hope everything was, you know, good. If you have any questions, come talk to me kind of thing. And the executive's like, okay, yep, see you guys. You know, like, I'm going to be in the engine side. So, uh, you know, she kind of backs off. She goes back into the background. So the first tour is going to happen. The... Uh, Full-timers are going to go kind of like haze them and they like show them the ropes. All the new people, so there's about 10 people in total. They take two Jeeps into the reserve, right? Classic Jurassic Park, gray on red Jeeps with the roll bar, everything, right? But they're more beefed up. They look like legitimate 4x4s and they look like they've learned their lessons and included things like stronger um, roll bars and uh cattle bars and things like that, like cattle catchers, to kind of uh, make them appear to be more safari-tested uh, vehicles that have experience, that they kind of, you know, can get you out of a jam. They're not gonna, you know, that I always think the Jurassic Park vehicles in the first one were cool because of the paint scheme, but ultimately they seemed kind of a, a lackluster and um, underwhelming uh, Jeep to kind of include into a safari. Even though I think they were Land Rovers. Um, but you want to get that mentality. The Mercedes, they're Land Rovers. They're like top of the notch. Ford, I don't know. Uh, whoever can want to sponsor this. So the 10 people go off on the trail into the park, right? And you see them kind of drive off taking Adam and Amazon. Leaving the game warden, the NGO boss, and the engine boss in a room together, right? Uh, and the park rangers. Uh, you're still there. You don't follow the Amazon pe- ad- ad- people. They kind of just drive off, right? And as a perspective of the audience, this is going to be like where your next major uh, conversation is going to happen. The game warden calls together his rangers. No, just have a little bit of a comic uh, chuckling going on, like uh, man dance or whatever. And then um, he warns them of the storm that's incoming. And they've all been briefed and reminds them of the seriousness of this and everything. And tells them to split up. The, they don't have a lot of time. They have to secure it within the day. Right? Because the next day it is expected to make landfall that night. Um, so they have to secure the fence line. They have to make sure. They have to run the fence line one more time. And just make sure that the, you know, it's still functioning in a different, like, you know, basically just run the fence line. Anyone who's on patrol knows that, right? Your perimeter plan. You know, it's an electric fence, and so it basically makes sure the boxes are all working, make sure the power's on and all the sides, right? And they're, they act bored, like, yeah, it's, it's always on, you know, like, it's redundancy. Um, even if it's off, what do we want to do about it? We're not electricians. We can't work on it because the government won't give us permission to work on it. You know, we're, so all we're going to do is say it's off, and then what? <laughs> say it's a hurricane. Who's going to come fix it? And he's like, whatever, just, you're dismissed. Go do it. Game warden goes to the two bosses. They're they're having a discussion, right? Looks like the NGO boss is just trying to like get the engine one to kind of open up. Uh, they share a conversation about the storm. Mention how you know serious it is, and this is gonna be the first one since they opened. It's a hurricane. It's Cat Three, um, but it's increasing in strength quickly, and it's proving to be quite unpredictable. You know, with with how it's just strengthening. And the plan is to uh, evacuate the staff. It's to keep the um, Researchers, they're full-time researchers on site. If they don't have to evacuate everybody, you know, as a potential like help and everyone, but everyone else is going to be evacuated on a bus. Um, 
the uh, Rangers uh, can volunteer to stay until the essential ones because the only essential one is like the game warden. He's like, well, you only really need one if everyone evacuates to protect you guys and everyone's locked up, you know, in case everything fails. And the bosses are choosing to stay too. The engine executive says she's already sending hers home, uh, her, her people home and everything. So um, the NGO boss... Uh, offers to help secure the engine labs because of this information like hey your people already went home like let us go secure it like let's the let the ngo staff and the, our students go secure it in the rangers and she's like no flatly refuses and reminds them that her crew and the rangers and her men and his men the game warden don't have security clearance to go into the engine labs and you know she's like listen it's yeah i know i said no i mean it like, you don't have permission by engine. I'm not going to get in trouble. I have to enforce this rule, right? And she's very impersonal. She's very cold about it. She's like, no, you guys just do not have access to be in the laboratories, so you can't help secure them. Like, she, she'll handle it. Only engine crews are allowed an engine, right? Um, they're very suspicious about that. Um, the game warden reminds her that he has secret clearance from the Federal Parks Department and the Bureau of Land Management. So basically, he's like, hey, do I got to remind you that I'm in charge of all security? I can. There's nothing off access to me. I've been given permission to handle top secret information by the Bureau of Land Management and Department of Homeland Security. And then she's all like, yeah, that's cute, but, you know, you still need engine permission. You still need uh, permission from you know, my specific company if you want access to the laboratory. And I am simply, you know, if you don't like it, complain. If you don't like it, take it up with your bureaucrats, take it up with politicians, write your congressman type thing. And that kind of, like, rubs him the wrong way, and he's like, well, whatever. Like, you know, like, doesn't really say anything because of that kind of Ron Swanson, like, well, fuck you, you know, type of look. Oh. Oh. She says you might be unreachable due to the uh, the complexity of uh, securing everything, you know, securing all the electronics and lab work. So she might be unreachable. And so uh, don't bother calling her, right, until she'll call them if there's anything that she needs. So she exits stage left and quick on her, like, you know, quick to that task. The game warden speaks to the NGO boss about this behavior. He's more worried that the, the engine crew is in danger from predators because the uh, engine crew um, has been researching on predators and is inside the predator territories. They kind of let them form natural territories, and um, not only do they have specific research, you know, animals that are predators, but the t predators tend to live like they're all all their territories are over there and then the NGO boss is like no this hasn't been an issue before their security is top notch they have a more secure compound than we do you know it has it has redundancies and everything and so you don't really have to worry too much too much about that about them and then he's like you know you know, I am going to worry because I'm that kind of good guy, but also I'm worried more because it's just very suspicious and weird and shady, right? Like, I'm more worried because I don't know what they're doing and I don't trust them. Not that I'm, I don't know what they're doing and I'm, you know, they're probably going to be unsafe. I The NGO boss says that their contracts that they have access to the controversial research and that they pay top dollar for that. It keeps the lights on, you know. She says in a, in a foreshadowing quip to uh, what's going to happen once the hurricane hits. 
So the NGO boss, as the GWFE, is concerned about the storm. He says he's not a Cat 3 because a Cat 3 isn't strong enough to really damage their systems. But if it's a Cat 4 or a Cat 5, anything could happen. And a Cat 5, you know, has been proven to be kind of a hell on Earth when it comes to um, the Everglades. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's not, there, there's a proven history of, of just a lot of uh, flooding and, and uh, damage to this area of Florida that they're in. And then he says he's more worried about poachers sneaking up and during the chaos and looting not only their equipment, but looting um, the dinosaurs as well. And at this, the NGO kind of chuckles because she thinks who would ever, like, who would steal a dinosaur? At this point, he reminds her and the audience of the seriousness that poaching is. Poaching is a major international crime. And that, you know, he gives the statistics and the figures for all the, the park rangers around the world, how many die every year trying to stop poachers, and how many poachers are killed, and how it's basically like this um, international war between organized poaching cr- crimes and mafias and, like, you know, the Interpol and things, and that he's trained uh, to investigate, and he's had to make some arrests already, you know, uh, in other parks and also this park. Um... You know, and then she's, she's kind of like, oh, yeah, you're right. Like, you, you, you have been on about that, you know. And it's not, like, because that's her personality. She's very innocent. She thinks that they're really just helping and they're there to help and everything. And she doesn't really know that they're now sitting on, like, basically a, a gigantic billion-dollar illegal game reserve. Um, and then he goes on to speak about the value of dino horns and dino meats on the black market and how it's just like rhino horn, it's just like elephant horn, it's just like tiger paw. You know, like it's fetching millions of dollars per kilo and they're like, damn, like, you know, this is actually maybe the real thing to worry about. And he's like, yeah, you're right. That's why I'm worried about. Um... The NGO boss tells him that the sheriff's department is on the roads in case anything happens because of uh, the looters in town and that he should keep their, you know, should keep that in mind. And he tells her that it hasn't stopped. Uh, it, you know, it, it, they, they probably will be, you know, outgunned and, and they probably won't want to, you know, like go into the park to save the dinosaurs. So that's his job. Like, you know, that that's what he's his heart's into. He's going to be the one you know, patrolling during the storm and making sure everything is safe, regardless of his safety. You know, like, he's like, oh, I'm not going to try to get risk their lives to do my job. You know, my life's the only one that's going to be risked. Um, the camera shows the incoming storm spinning on a radar and a monitor as they as they kind of end their speech and as they kind of pursue their own uh, tasks. And you see the storm, and it's massive. The storm is absolutely gunning forward. The Jurassic Park is very reminiscent of the first Jurassic Park film. So we've already established in this scene the NGO boss, and her goals are to keep the park safe and to keep the dinos safe. Her stakes for their actions are the storm could hurt them and the, uh, ruin the park and hurt the dinosaurs and maybe her staff. Uh, her actions are to delegate her actions, you know, delegate the responsibilities of the, of the task and, you know, preparing for the emergency and also uh, keeping communication with everyone and making sure everyone's safe. Basically, her actions are that. So she's a very innocent character. The game warden, the GW, his uh, goals are to keep the park safe, keep the diner safe from poachers and the storm, and to keep uh, the staff safe. So, the game warden, uh, his stakes, poachers, the storm, the dinosaurs. 
basically he's seeing everything as a threat and you know all his uh, he's going full sheepdog um, his actions he will use force to stop any dangers including dinosaurs and um, he has the rangers he has a small team of rangers approximately uh, four rangers so the engine executive that we've met, the, the spiky cold one, her goals are to protect the engine secrecy and her lab safety. Um, the stakes, the storm may damage it. You know, it's going to be an emergency. And any unapproved intruders at this time relegated to the NGO, the workers, and the rangers. Um, her actions, she's going to secure the lab. Very mysterious, but she is going to do it, and they have absolute confidence that she can do it. So, you know, there must be some proof to that, that she's very much, like, that's her home turf, and no one else is allowed in it. Okay. Now, this is still Act 1, and this is the third um, plot line that's going to be brought into, the third set of characters. The Poachers. Okay, so the Poachers. The camo dudes, ex-army types, bikers and hunter aesthetics. They're loading gear into a helicopter and talking shit, you know, getting each other psyched up for the hunt. The head. You can tell they're obviously experienced and ready for action. These are some macho dudes, right? Except for one of them's got a mask. Oh, I guess I kind of gave it away. As you say, one of them's got a mask, and one of them's very uh, androgynous and, like, kind of smaller. Turns out she's going to be a woman, right? So there you go. Uh, she's your, man, uh, you know, what's her name? Um... Oh, Amanda Rodriguez? Yeah, character. So, crew is reminiscent of the cast of Predator. You got a big guy, you got a Native American guy, you got a nerdy hick guy, you got a European guy, etc. Uh, the professional leader of the squad of the poachers is satisfied as they continue their preparations and uh, begins to discuss the plan with the pilot. And the plan is uh, kind of going over the radar as a narrative, right? But he's keeping morale high, and he's uh, he cut to the chopper in flight, and the chopper has a cargo crate suspended below it on uh, and like a harness or on like a cable, right? So it's carrying a cargo crate and about um, let's just say eight guys, right? So eight random assembled uh, hunters, tough guys, right? So there's about eight people in the chopper uh, plus the pilot now. That's so yeah, and the cargo crate which is pretty uh, large. It's racing very low over the swamp, just skimming the surface of the swamp. And um, the men are like talking shit and they got the classic predator, you know, like red light inside the chopper type thing. And then they're like, you know, listening to music and, you know, the chopper pilot's talking to the uh, leader about the schedule. And he's like, and they're basically asserting the fact that they're going to fly low uh, fly over the fence line, fly a little bit into land, drop them and the cargo off, uh, bounce out, keep a uh, perimeter, you know, stay low, land a little bit, and then fly back. Um, when they get radioed for for the evac, before the storm. The hard window is the storm, and kind of have them make this like a very strong thing is that the hard window is the storm. They're not going to be able to fly once the storm hits land, gets into the area. The chopper just won't be effective. They can't risk it. It's their personal business, you know, saying like, that's their business. They're not going to take the risk. And the, and the leader's like, nothing should go wrong. Uh, everything's going to work out. We'll have this timed perfectly. We'll be able to, you know, use the time we have now. Uh, get what we need to get, and then, you know, you guys fly us out, the share is yours, you know, you'll get extra uh, from my share, we'll all get a million dollars, you'll get a little extra if, you know, we don't have any problems type thing, right? Boom, boom, boom. 
in the storm. You see it in the horizon. It's like epic lightning, rain coming in. And, uh, you know, you see the fence line. The fence line stretches for miles. It stretches further than the eye can see in either direction. And it's, you know, you get the sense that it just goes on. It's absolutely massive. And there's hundreds of thousands of acres inside this park. Right, and it's like a maximum fence line. So when he, you get also the sense that when the game warden was saying earlier about patrolling the fence line, that it really was like a gigantic job to do, and that it was just going to be a massive, like boring pain in the ass as they kind of had to drive for miles, you know, around a fence. You know, anyone who's lived in a Texas ranch or a farm knows exactly what I'm talking about. There, a couple of acres is an extensive uh, travel, you know, across the perimeter of. So, um, you know, a couple hundred thousand that could be that could be several, uh, you know, several days worth of uh, of checking. So. They professionally disembark once the helicopter gets close enough to drop its cargo and land. Um, they rappel down and get their equipment, um, you know, salute them off. And basically, inside the cargo crate, it's revealed that they have weaponry and dirt bikes. And so their weaponry is like silenced uh, rifles, silenced, uh, you know, 50 caliber rifles, um, cool shit like that. Uh, definitely meant for hunting big game and doing it quietly. And their dirt bikes are have hush kits, and the hush kits make them whisper quiet, like they are barely audible. And off they ride into the distance, into this large uh, plain of grassland and like crazy. It looks like the, you know, really tall grass and just a uh, really cool like plain. You know, and off into the distance, you see dinosaurs. And that is their target. That is their poaching query, is that they're going to go hunt um, these dinosaurs and poach them. You know, probably their horns. You're going to get the idea that they're going to, they're like, get something from them. They're not going to take the whole triceratops. So they're going to go out hunting in Jurassic Park illegally, dropped off from a helicopter with silenced uh, 50 caliber rifles and silenced motorbikes. Um, these are the poachers. Their goals are to poach dinos and not get caught. Their stakes, if they get caught, they're going to go to federal jail. You know, it's a felony. It's a big one. Their actions, they're going to infiltrate and stealthily and armed and uh, well-equipped. And they're very experienced and they're very confident. They don't have a lot of fear about this, right? Even though they are going into basically no man's land with a hurricane right behind them. So you go switch over. You cut to the full-time students showing the spies and new guys, the uh, the secret spies and new guys, the safe side of the park. It's on the other end of the park. It's cla- it's clearly not the same landscape that the poachers uh, entered. The poachers entered a grassland. This is more of like a forest with rolling hills that leads into a river. And it's very much your first Jurassic Park's introduction where it's just long-necked dinosaurs and duckbills and all the gentle herbivores and they're all just chilling and having a good time, bathing, eating, you know, just, just being cool. You know, like dinosaurs just being friendly and adorable and majestic and mighty, right? Like they're just big, um, but they're gentle. Uh, it's a classic meat cute and the dinos are majestic and mighty and many and the Amazon just loses it in a real genuine moment of enthusiasm and um, this this 
crazy hardcore woman who's a thrill seeker and like adrenaline junkie. She goes to a baby triceratops and kind of loses her like the idea of danger and she wants to pet it. And then, you know, it does, it lets her. And, um, you know, she ends up even trying to ride it to the point that she does successfully write it, you know, and even the parents of the Triceratops are like, hmm, like, they're like, oh, we don't like that, and they kind of, like, make aggressive movements to her, but the baby is, like, running off with her on its back, and then thunder and lightning strike the park, and, you know, definitely the hurricane is here with an audible reach, you know, and it's, like, very ominous, and it kind of spooks the, the big dinosaurs a little bit because, you know, they're in a field, and water and lightning, they don't like it. You know, it's, it's, it's a storm in nature, so they're like, so, you know, jostling all around and freaking out. The people, the students are like, okay, we got to go back right now. We need to get the call. You know, lightning, we can't be out in the field. Um, they tell her to get off. You know, that was incredibly risky, but they never seen anyone do that before. That was so cool. Like, they wish they could do it type of thing. And the Amazon's like, yeah, I am pretty cool, right? Yeah. And so, um, they go back to the, the main base on their in their Jeeps, right? All two Jeeps, so all the guys are back. Are going back to so boo boo boo. Then you show um, the Rangers. The Rangers that uh, have split up into two Jeeps of two. One of them passes the college kids and the uh, the whole civilian crew on their way out to check the fence. They say hi, they kind of make a couple of jokes, then you start getting into their story as you follow them and the, not the students anymore. Uh, you follow the Rangers, they're going up the fence, they're having their bullshit session with their buddies, blah, 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 blah. Uh, you know, it's funny, there are a lot of jokes back and forth. Um, then you hear that back at HQ, the GW, the game warden, is listening into the radio in his office, and he's kind of laughing along too and smirking at these knuckleheads. And then he's like watching the weather report, and it's like, burr, burr. it's now a cat four. The storm went from a cat three to a cat four, and um, it may even reach cat five as it prepares to like, as, or it's making landfall and everything. So he's like, ugh. And he flips a coin, and he gets the coin, it lands, and he's like, okay, like, calls in the guys, the Rangers like, hey, we're going to call for a full evacuation, I'm going to get everybody out of here, uh, take them into town, um, take them to the shelter, you know, like, we're not approved for anything above a Cat 3, and I'm going to be a government man about it by the book, right, so we don't get held responsible, they have a bus waiting out there. Um, it's already filled with the staff that have been like the last to leave, like your cafeteria workers, your janitors, things like that. Um, and the, the he's like, hey, hold on, hold on. He's telling the driver who's like, you know, there that he's going to be putting on two rangers and um, the last of the students. Like, can he fit the, the all the students? And he's like, yeah, yeah, I can fit the students. You know, obviously it's a bus and we only, it's not full yet. They're like, okay, cool makes two rangers go with everyone to kind of be their escort and to kind of protect them and uh in town you know kind of he's like hey you know like just just hang out with these guys you know like it's gonna get kind of choppy in town so make sure you don't like you know freak out like and make sure you're reporting back to me about how they're acting right because they're still his responsibility as a part of like the park they're kicking and screaming. The, the full timers like, we don't want to go. Like, we don't. We, we, we want to stay with our, you know, research thing. This is how it's valuable data. We should be researching how the dinosaurs are affected by storms and stuff. And you know, the GW is not having it. He's all grumped out, and he's all like, no, you know, like I'm not, not debating. I'm telling you, like I'm your boss. Inside thing, and um, the NGO lady's like, yeah, listen to what he says. You know, he's really, you know, he's the one you should be listening to here. Not like, you know, he's the one who's thinking about your safety. 
So, the, let's see where we are right now. Okay, so the spies, as they're entering the bus, they sabotage it. They put a little small explosive on one of the tires. They ride out a little bit. But before they hit the gate, the thing blows up. They, they rig it. It blows up, blows out the tire. They have to stop, change the tire. During the chaos, they get out. They act like they're stretching. They sneak off into the brush, and they're trying to make their way back. As they do so, though, it starts raining. So, you know, it's one of those things where they're like, hey, maybe the universe is telling us we should just leave type thing. And they're like, no, you know, this will, this will totally let us buy a boat we can sail around the world and stuff like that. They already have their money spent in their own heads, right? But they cause the thing. They use espionage methods. Now they're no longer undercover, but now they're going full spy. Like, they're like, oh, yeah, I forgot. We were spies. You know, like, we were, were corporate spies hired to sneak into the engine place and everything, right? And they're like, yeah, so they got all their spy equipment. And they leave in the chaos as they change the tire, give everyone the slip. Bada bing, they're gone. Or they're not gone, they're coming back, right, to the headquarters. Um, it's already windy and dark, it's already raining. Uh, then you jump back to the two rangers patrolling the fence line. They're deep into the reserve, and they see carrion bird vultures circling to investigate. Now they're already entering the grass fields. A dramatic irony, as you, the audience, are seeing the grass fields, you're like, oh man, like... This is the grass fields where the poaching happened. Yes, they go to the carrion birds. The vultures are circling around a giant carcass of a triceratops. It's a big one. It's a bull. But its horns have been sawn off. Absolutely sawn off like a rhino and uh, or an elephant that's been poached. And the poachers then kill the rangers from a distance very ruthlessly. As both are out there, as soon as one picks up his walkie-talkie, he gets sniped. And then as soon as the other one sees that, you know, he tries to get into the car or the Jeep and he gets sniped through the Jeep, goes right through the uh, the door. And it's just like obviously an anti-tank type cartridge, anti-material cartridge. Like it's a 50 caliber BMG, um, you know, full metal jacket type uh, Jeep penetration where it just splatters him. And it's like ruthless. Like show just that these guys didn't have a chance to even react like the first one was just hit and it's like a real sniper shot it's not just um, being pierced with a bullet it's like a giant unraveling of flesh and bone it's like a you know being pulled inside out kind of um I don't know if we're gonna be able to show that but still I want I want realism and the cocky the um poachers then go up to him and imitate him and they take a little souvenir and everything from him like one of them takes a souvenir the other one like grabs the radio and they try to imitate them even though they don't like what they sound like they're just all like oh yeah you know like you hear the GW on the radio and he's all like hey hey guys report in what's up like what are you guys doing like you know hey uh, this is an emergency like quit fucking around the guy's like hey uh, we're coming back you know and the guy's like that's not you what's wrong with your voice like what like, and so the GW immediately knows something terrible is going on. Something terribly wrong. He grabs his keys, grabs his, uh, you know, hunting hat, grabs his rifle, his uh, double-bore shotgun, heads out. Or like a T-Rex 500 Nitro, like something just epic. And heads out into the emergency. Tells the NGO, something's wrong with my rangers. You know, and she's like, what? And her heart drops. And she's not built for it type thing, and he's like, I'm gonna go check it out, and um, you know, 
tells her that the bus is leaving, but they had a the problem with the tire, and they're changing it, and they're going to get out there, and then once they're out there, the gate's going to close, and then no one's in or out, right? So basically, um, she accepts this information. Act two begins. Act two. The poachers are packing up their illegal triceratops horns and waiting for the chopper to evac. It's obvious something in the tall grass is stalking them across from the distance. First, from very far away. Now, closer. And it's been that way for what seems like all day. The leader is watching out. He's airing his suspicions to his, like, to the uh, drive thing, who turns out to be a woman, a tough woman. She pulls down her mask and reveals it's a woman. And he's, she's like, yeah, you know, I've noticed that there's been whistling and things like that. And, you know, we haven't, we, we've, been, we've been on guard, but we haven't been... Um, two on guard we've been kind of caught up in killing the triceratopses and everything and then she's like and someone else they hear like the chatter the men are just like yeah we're gonna get you know million dollars per horn these are the biggest triceratops horns I've ever seen you know bagged our limit today type jokes and shit and the leader and her are taking it serious the leader and her are like you heard whistling and the leader's like I've heard whistling before and I never wanted to hear it again. And so he's, he knows that they're raptors, right? And you can see that he is now convinced that they have very little time to get out of this park because they are in some deep shit. Like, you see that in his eyes. And get someone who can really act to express that. And as the storm, it's already raining. Um, and so you realize it's about the same time as when the, uh, the bus thing happened. Uh, you know, just a parallel event. And it's in the, in the time... Um, quantum uh, continuum and as the chopper comes in you know with the storm behind it the raptors attack you know everyone is there they all look up they're all like yeah like come on like they got everything ready to, to hoist up and load up and get out of there and you know because they're distracted and their back is turned and the leader and the female are looking they're on their bikes and they're kind of a little bit away from everybody they see the raptors charging out of the tall grass and taking down the closest people and then the people turning and panicking and even though they're armed they're armed with uh, big bore single shots and so it's it's the classic uh, small fast agile targets versus big powerful single shot weapons almost like you know bolt action weapons and so it's just not really a competition everyone gets the order like the leader yells up the order to, to scramble to get out of there the, hel the helicopter kind of like flies off you know realizing that the shit's hit the fan the helicopter guy is like you know on the horn um, you know, on the radio trying to talk to them about where they want to go like what's happening if they like you know what the fuck is going on they weren't that wasn't part of the group the leader though his, he just drops the radio he, he can't even like it's just so much going on so fast that communication kind of severs that way even though he, he, he kind of panics him and the uh, female and everyone else dirt bike away they're still they grab the dirt bikes they just mm -hmm. split leave the people getting eaten and there's about 30 raptors right so things are getting like pretty fucking serious like immediately 30 raptors um some of them try to take the horns that slows them down um so now you've got about three people alive left right the target's been lost the poaching trophy's been lost raptors have attacked from the tall grass um you know hurricane's coming helicopter's out right evac is now just not gonna happen that way 
uh, the three poachers that are alive or the leader, uh, let's just say the native and um, the tough female character. They race across a herd of herbivores in their motorcycles, being chased by the raptors. Um, everyone, the, the herbivores are freaking out because of the storm and because of the raptors and because of these motorbikes, like the weapon around them. And one of them is wounded by a giant uh, herbivore, either a stegosaurus or like a, bron- a brachiosaurus, like with his t- with his tail, like you know, his tail whipped off the motorcycle, and like every rib is broken. He's like all banged up to hell, like he's just out of it, right? Um, the leader and the tough female uh, grab him. They, they basically just, just grab him and, and take him with them and drag him uh, as they're moving, you know, on the back of their bike. And then they, they just basically head the river. They hit the river where the rolling hills were because, you know, like I established before, that the herbivores live next to the river in the hill area. Um, they hit the, the, the river. The leader reaches into, like, his kit bag on his motorcycle pulls out this high-tech instantly like instant folding raft it's not a very big raft it's enough to hold maybe the three people that they have and maybe four people maximum but it, it immediately unfolds they push it into the river they head out as they float you know it's raining um windy River is not a good place to be in a hurricane, right? They know this. They're in a little tiny raft that's meant for this emergency situation, but not much durability. It's not like meant to take a beating. And there's about it's not uh, much water coming in now as there is, you know, that they're floating on. Um, the wounded guy is bleeding and, you know, he's all grown. He needs gonna, he's, he's not going to make it. And they kind of come to the decision that they need to uh, land on uh, land, right? They land on land, uh, like on the shore, as soon as they can. And they're sitting there. They're drenched. Um, obviously, they're they're exposed to the elements. And this guy's moaning, like the Indian's moaning guy. And the leader's like, like man, where are we? Like, what are we going to do? And he looks at his map, and him and the female make a plan. And they kind of say it out loud so the audience knows. They're going to float down the river. No, they're going to walk down the river as long as they can on the bank. And that leads to the research station. They're going to steal a vehicle in the research station. They're going to leave, right? That's the only plan that's possible. And they got to do it fast because, um, you know, of where they are and what they're doing. They can't ask for help. They can't be caught. They can't be seen. They are, you know, felons. They are poachers. They have weapons, and they might have to use them type thing. And they've already killed two rangers, right? So they're going to go down to the station, which is the engine station you see on the map. His map is the exact same map of the station that you've seen during the orientation. And it's uh, the engine station's right there, right down the river, right? The two stations are right beside each other. They kind of form like two diamonds that are interconnected in the middle with the river running between them. Their plan is to originally walk as soon as they finish up this brainstorm session and they put away the map and they're like okay we're ready to go they remember the native american guy he's all wounded and he's you know moaning and um obviously has attracted unwanted company the unwanted company he's attracted is now floating in around the river down the river as uh, it rains right the little officers are on the banks they kind of retreat to the brush, but you see their eyes and you hear their little hyena laugh. They have this like strange hyena laugh. And um, 
you can definitely tell they're they're stalking the little raft as it continues to go down. They're going to follow, and they're going to use. Uh, they're going to get that guy who's wounded. Like that is their mission. Is that they are now like Komodo dragons. Once they bite, they just follow and trail um, what they've bitten until uh, they finally get it. Right? They're relentless. As they're floating, you're going to watch as. Uh, Basically, you're going to stick to these people for a little bit. And as they float, things go from bad to worse because the blood from the Native American guy and uh, his moaning and stuff is attracting a Spinosaurus. The Spinosaurus begins to follow the blood trail and stalk the raft and does its, you know, classic. It rises, you see the fin rise, and then it pops up. It's like, you know, massive frame, and you're like, oh, shit. So the female does the best that she can do, and she just tosses the Native American guy off the raft and, like, basically sacrifices him for the Spinosaurus um, because the Spino just eats the guy and is like, okay, I'm busy eating the guy, and lets them go on. And they have to go through rapids, and they have to go through, uh, you know, basically like fall off a waterfall type thing. So they're, they're, they're definitely getting that good karma payback, right? For all their evil deeds. Um, but they lost the Spinosaurus, and from now they are safe from the Dilophosauruses because of the, the rapids and, you know... If you ever seen rapids, you could go immediately from like one point to another point, like point A to point B miles away. The and they're lucky to survive, but you know, at least they're not dead because they would have been dead otherwise. So let's see. So there's two poachers left out of the original eight. You now have two left in this one sequence of events. That this is the beginning of Act Two, so you've lost six poachers, and you have two left, and one of them is blinded, one of them is wounded, right? Then you cut to the spies, the Adam and Amazon, who are infiltrating the engine lab uh, from the outside, and they basically they in, they enter the headquarters of the NGO. No one is there, right? Absolutely, no one is there. They. Uh, use their maps and their technology like the little toys, their espionage steals to uh, just simply walk over to the engine lab across the bridge. Then there's like I said, there's two, it looks like two diamonds on a map and there's a bridge in between them and uh, a river in between them and the bridge leads to the engine lab. They take that bridge they take, they go into engine, no one's in the engine laboratory because it's empty because it's been secured and they use the security codes to try to, to get in and they have access to it, right? Little do they know that they're being watched by security cameras this whole time by the executive who's in her office in a safe room, right? But she has complete uh, 360 degree uh, visibility of the area, cameras, and you know speaker systems. There she she can uh, hear in and everything, and uh, she controls like all the doors and stuff. So she's really in charge of the lab, as if though she was suspecting of this, right? Um, her office though has a lot of glass on it like it's this giant like it's on the outside of a balcony and it's looking over the jungle in the park and it's just mostly glass so during a hurricane you're seeing the it just be pounded with rain you know like it's just completely whited out with rainfall very aesthetic very cool and then she's very much just like chilling like watching all this happen she's like very emotionless like she's got obviously another a bigger plan ahead 
Um, so the Amazon and Adam uh, begin to infiltrate the engine lab. They go down a uh, elevator shaft, for example, because the elevator is powered off. And then, you know, they're almost killed by the elevator falling on them. And then they discover the laboratory and its files and a computer they hack into. And it, they find evidence of illegal cloning. They find evidence of gene tampering. They find evidence of a company called Grindel Weapons Laboratories. And Grindel is uh, taking the data and weaponizing it for um, for the, these, uh, you know, mystery uh, sauropods and these dinosaurs, and you see the DNA evidence for all of them. Um, this facility has many security systems, and they trigger the alarm. Uh, so it's just, you know, the, in, the, the bo- engine bosses, the engine executives' decision to turn on the alarms and panic everybody. And so... Um, but once the alarms are activated, because she knows that they have the information... Um, it's not only a giant, you know, disturbance and basically this like wailing and red light dinner bell for, uh, you know, the beasts of the forests and the park in the middle of nothing, like quiet. But it's also goes to the NGO, the uh, NGO boss's uh, system, like her computer system. And then um, the game warden, he gets the signal too. Like it's definitely a distress. It's like a red alert, right? Just think of that. That was like a red alert. Um, the NGO boss radios the engine executive. She doesn't get any answer. So we've switched over to her perspective. She's really concerned. You know, she may not see eye to eye with this person, but she's generally a very nice and sweet, loving person. She takes, like, medical supplies. Um, you know, she arms herself like a flare gun. Uh, and some bear base, and then she takes, like, a vehicle, and, um, you know, wears, like, the raincoat and everything with a big flashlight. Like, she's the opposite of Dennis Nedry, soul, in, um, the first one. Like, she's ready to go out and brave the storm, but she's doing it because she's really concerned and loves somebody, and, like, not loves somebody, but, like, really doesn't want to see that anyone hurt. The storm hits with full fury as, uh, you know, she gets there. The power goes out. Uh, the backup generators kick in. But the engine HQ lab executive office where she's in has not been affected. It has, like, its own separate power system and, like, advanced security in like So she's still, like, so you can tell, like, the entire, the entire park was kind of built one way and that her laboratory was built an entirely different way much like the Spencer Mansion like you'd think it was one thing but really it's this different thing it's like a weapons testing defensive uh, high tech base like laboratory like high tech military laboratory um you know, as this happens, as the NGO lady gets there, uh, Adam and uh, Amazon are trying to, like, you know, manage the inside of the laboratory with the lights off and they only, like, the generators on. The lady executive smiles. She hits a switch and opens an enclosure, fully aware of the spies and the NGO late boss lady uh, entering, right? The enclosure appears to be empty. In the darkness and the flashing strobe lights of the alarms, the spies attempt to escape the same way they came in, and they encounter the carnotaurs that were the carnotauruses that were uh, in the enclosure, now freely roaming and hunting the uh, laboratory. Um, they are cloaked. They are always cloaked. They are almost invisible to the naked eye, 
and it's only in the strobing lights that you can see them and their pattern but they end up like being a very very like much invisible like they are very invisible right not like have them where it's very obvious something is there but like they are like were when you show them for the first time make it be that you could not have seen it right um in the book where i'm getting this inspiration from they specifically state that the carnotsaurus uh had a brush pattern on the bottom and a chain link fence pattern on its top so that means it has like the ability to to be that accurate and it was only discovered when someone flashed a light on it and it couldn't handle the uh difference uh different of a like, difference of illumination so they see it only in the in the strobe light it's very trippy it's very dangerous and very scary they survive they narrowly survive uh, and escape now they have discovered what they have been working on they've been trying to genetically create uh, this cloaking dinosaur and they're going to use this as a weapon right Grindel wants to use this as a weapon this is obvious right now they're like the carnosaur is what they were working on they were working on it as a weapon this is obviously something that's fucked up and against the law so they're going now they have the evidence now they're like okay all we got to do is somehow get this back to our to the boss and we get our payday right so even though this is scary they're like hey yeah we finally have like proof of what we came for you know this is definitely going to impress everyone that we worked for like i know we almost got eaten and no we still might but this is still pretty good for us that's their entire attitude right it's like they love this adrenaline they love this thrill uh the ngo boss you know runs into them and is confused that they're here like she thinks that they were just new hires and that she wonders why they weren't on the bus getting past the gate and you know, like evacuated and then um she she doesn't really even get suspicious this is how good and sweet of a person she is is that they just come up with some bullshit lie like obvious bullshit and then she's like oh okay like we gotta help the NGO boss she said an alarm uh something must have happened she could be in danger um did you get the alarm too is this why you're here and they're like yes we're here to help out the engine executive and then which is ironic because they're there to stop the engine executive and she's all like yeah yeah you know like I totally get that like let's go help her out together at that moment the Carnotosaurus um the Carno attacks the NGO boss and she is eaten you know horrifically eaten by this cloaking um you know predator the spies freak out like they they're splattered in her blood type thing like it's <laughs> that was an incredibly close call for them the spies try to steal her truck um so they're like okay she drove here let's just get the truck let's get out of here right like we don't have to fuck with this anymore um that's when they meet the poachers as they run out to the truck they find the poachers have reached the truck first out of the river flowing down their plan they they have managed to get there um you know that was going on while this was going on the poachers are trying to hotwire it they're desperate they're wounded and they're dangerous they pull weapons on them and um you know when everyone's like kind of having this mexican standoff moment where they're like who the fuck are you you know who the fuck are you like what the fuck is going on and they're like trying to like we like shut the fuck up you know type thing um the Dilophosauruses are right behind them like they are peeking out through the brush and they're they they do the neck furl thing like they they're coming for the guy they they wounded right like they are coming for him 
um, the female is freaking out. The tough female is freaking out. They're like, no, we got to go inside the building. And they're trying to tell her, like, no, the building is not where you want to go. Like, that is, like, that is, no, we got to get this truck and we got to get the fuck out of here. We got to go down the road. And they're like, the, we, like, we got to, we can't hotwire it immediately. Like, it's wet, so it won't work type thing or something, right? Like, they're, they're stalling. They're not communicating. They're taking, like, they're losing time. And they're in between a rock and a hard place. The Dilophosauruses, which the female is afraid they're going to kill the guy that they blinded and her and everybody. And the Carnotosauruses, which are inside the engine laboratory, um, eating, I guess, like, the carcass of the NGO woman, like, as they speak, right? Like, they're like, no, as soon as you walk through that door, you're going to fucking get eaten. Like, the, the spies are saying that. Like, we got to get this, whoever the fuck you guys are, we got to get this Jeep. We got to get out of here, right? Um, as they're arguing, a the Dilophosaurus turn around and run. And they're like, why the Dilophosaurus is turning around and run? The T-Rex of the movie franchise that everyone knows and loves busts out. Pissed. Attacks the Jeep. Crushes it. Just sends it flying. Right? And now they're like, oh shit, we lost the Jeep. T-Rex is outside. He's, like, you know, going berserk because that's what the T-Rex does. We got to go into the laboratory again. Like the, the, literally, the, we can't outrun them. It's raining. It's winding. It's a Cat 5 hurricane. Power's out. No communication. No Jeep. T-Rex right here, right? It's, fuck it. We'll, 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 we'll um, manage the Carnos, right? Like, they think, like, well, the Carnos aren't that bad. Like, you know, like, and so they, they turn around and run. Remember, this is, like, their first experience with dinosaurs, and this is the poacher's absolute, like, worst day, right? So these four people go back in. All right, so uh, let's see where I'm at. Okay, so now they're just, but they're, but they're right, they know that the coroners are there. They're going to try to explore the engine lab exterior and try to find somewhere else to hide, right? So they don't have to go through the door they came in, but they're going to try to, like, hug the walls. And there's, like, a brief chase where the T-Rex is, like, trying to get them. And they're, they're like, hiding in, like, little outside walkways or, you know, underneath uh, awnings and things like that. The T-Rex is just trying to get them and he just really can't. Uh, meanwhile, the, the place is starting to kind of get damaged by the storm. Windows are being busted out. It's starting to flood. Uh, you know, you have a tree kind of like fall through the laboratory, and they jump through where the tree fell in, and then the T-Rex can't really, like, make sense of it. And at the same time, this kind of, like, you know, gives them an entrance into the laboratory that's not directly the door they came in on, the door that's too dangerous to open. So now they're in the lab, right? So you got those four people in the lab, plus the engine executive and the Carnos. They're all in the lab. The executive lady, now in her office, seeing this, goes on her radio and speaks to the game warden, right? And she's like, hey, there are trespassers in my laboratory. And he's like, where's your laboratory? All right, are you all right? Like, I heard the alarm. And she's all like, yes, I don't know who these people are. They don't, they look armed. They look like they're dressed in, like, camouflage. And uh, then these are poachers, right? I think these are some kind of poachers. Knowing that he, you know, has this concern with poachers, knowing that she set up this whole thing, and knowing that um, 
this is all kind of an experiment for her, right? And that kind of weird perverse, he's very cold. And he's all like, you sound very, like, calm about all this. And she's all like, why would I be nervous? I have you, you know, come over here, like, help out. So he needs to return. But he's also on his mission. He tells him that he'll make it as soon as possible. And, of course, it's raining outside, wind, you know, rocking the thing. He's He can barely see, no visibility. But he runs upon the van, the Jeep. You know, he's using GPS, and he finds the Jeep that his rangers had. He sees the bullet hole. He sees the blood. He finds the ranger's body next to the T-Rex, next to the Triceratops' body. He sees the Triceratops, sees the horns being shot off. He's like, okay, poachers were here. Poachers killed my men. I was absolutely right. This is, you know, this is exactly what I predicted, is that such a high-value target was going to be, you know, targeted by dangerous, violent criminals. So now he's also pissed and he wants revenge. So he goes down to the engine lab, though, knowing the executive needs his help and knowing that he can't really do a lot when it's a Cat 5 hurricane. <laughs> you know, it's still like Cat 5 hurricane. The executive watches... Oh, uh, oh, he's also in Raptor Country, right? So he's also like, I'm in Raptor Country, like, shit. And he's going... His plan is just to off-road it directly down into the engine lab. And he looks at his map... And it runs parallel to the course that was along the river. He's just going to straight shot it, though. He's not going to use the roads or the trails. And he's like, I can cut off 30 minutes if I just go straight through, right? Just pop it into four-wheel and just head out in the mud. And as he does so, you see the raptors from before. And they're following his Jeep, right? Like, have him full, like, he's driving as fast as he can. You know, in this hurricane across these this, this tall grass, and the raptors are just starting to swarm him. They're starting to like come in all sides, the, the same as that um, the uh, scene in um, the Lost World where the people are walking in a single file line and through the tall grass. And you know, stay out of the tall grass. Stay out of the tall grass. Um, and the raptors are coming, and you see the different like rivers the raptors are making, the different paths they're making as they approach. So, he's now fleeing, but with a ton of raptors, all the 30 of those raptors back in, uh, back in his, uh, basically in pursuit of him. Now, the executive is watching the trespassers on her uh, security cameras. They're traveling the building, um, you know, as best they can. Remember, now they're armed. Now, she's going to force them into a game of cat and mouse with the Carnos. She has access to doors, and she can open and close them as she sees fit. And it becomes kind of a weird puzzle element, like a survival horror element. Very classic uh, Resident Evil where they descend, where they basically manage this weird um, engine theme park type um, laboratory where it's got like little dioramas and models of the park and stuff. Some of it's very quiche, but it's all like dinosaur bones and like little dinosaur sculptures. So there's like a point where they're walking and there's like all these dinosaur exhibits that have uh, plastic over them because they were trying to be preserved before the, the hurricane. And it's just a perfect place for the Carnos to hide and camouflage themselves, et cetera, et cetera. And um, as they're kind of walking through this twilight and being stalked by these Carnos, and they narrowly miss getting eaten a couple of times, 
the crew go out to um, this enclosure and the, the, the four people find a bunch of goats. They're the goats that the Indian laboratories were feeding to the predators, the Carnos, the T-Rex. Now, they release the goats thinking, rightfully, this will distract all the predators, right? And they basically shove and cause like, this little goat stampede and the, and the goats run into the uh, rain and start bleeding, like, like bleating. And then you see the footprints for the invisible carnos uh, behind them in the water, like marching, like without the body, like disembodied footprints stomping along to uh, to the goats. I know it. This will be a weird opportunity for them. But they're stomping along to the goats, right? The people decide to run for it. Um, that they hear the T Rex in the distance. Um, the, the Carnos are being distracted by the goats. The storm is ravaging the area. You know, it's, it's very low visibility. They're going to try to run for it. They're desperate. Uh, okay, okay, they start running down the road, literally in the direction of the gate. They just run for the gate. They're on foot. The, the game warden is driving with the raptors in pursuit of him. Uh, hauling ass through the white, uh, the white, the blinding white rain, um, you know, raining sideways type attitude, and he runs and he drives right up, just luckily, next to these people as they're running on the one road that leads to the exit. Right, he's going the opposite way to the engine executive laboratory. They're running the other way, and he pulls over. And this is a one of those weird moments where he's got the raptors in the back, but he's made some distance between them. He sees the two of them in camo, that they're poachers, right? And he arrests, he, he, he slaps the handcuffs on one of them and throws her in the back of the van. And the other guy's blinded, and he pulls a gun on him. And he's like, I'm not going in with you. I'm not going to get arrested. You know, I'd rather die. I kill you right now than let you put handcuffs on me. And he's all like... He's all like, "This is fucking crazy. You're fucking crazy. You killed my men. You murdered a son of a bitch." That thing. You're gonna get. You're gonna get justice. And the guys are like, "Yeah, but not from you." And so the guys like, "You know what? Fine. Fuck it." And he, the two spies go jump in the van with them. He's like, "You guys got some explaining to do." You know, luckily it's a long drive back, and they're like, "Don't go into the engine executive. She's the one who's been setting us all up. She's a spy. She she's trying to kill you. She's trying to kill us. You know, she killed the NGO boss." And he's all like, "You know what?" I wouldn't believe you because you're liars and, you know, obviously, like, you know, spies, you're not who you say you are, but, you know, in a time like this, I don't have time to argue, I'm just going to take your word for it type thing, and this is a very flexible moment of his because he's like, exactly, like, typically I would go stupidly to, to find the engine executive and prolong us our adventure and basically kill us all, but you know what, I, I, you're right, I, I want to live too. Boom! They drive past. The, they drive out of the place. Raptors in tow. Oh no! They drive out of the place. They pull away. The guy, the lead poacher, you know, he's got he's, his eyesight's coming back, but he's got his pistol out. He's stuck in the rain. He's abandoned in Jurassic Park. He didn't want to go with them to face uh, justice, so they left him behind. Turns around. Raptors. Thirty raptors that killed his men. Bear down on him unceremoniously. There's no last stand, he doesn't get a shot off and kill one, they just absolutely gut him, he'd be classic, he sees one of them, two from the sides, boom you know, like, clever girl type stuff, he's just getting mauled like Maldoon would, GW and all the people drive out of the storm, the gate opens to let them out because they have that kind of thing, the technology that it opens 
you know, it's a wireless uh, gate, magnetically controlled or whatever, opens up for them. Um, you see them hauling ass outside of it, the, the sign says, Welcome to Jurassic Park. Uh, it's all ravaged by the hurricane, you know, glasses shattered out. Uh, and they drive off, right? And it's just dark, and they leave the engine executive there. The gate does not close behind them. The gate, it stays open. Not like that was the last little bit of power the generator gave it. The gate is now open, you know, like it's just open to anything can leave out, right? And the raptors are right behind them. It's implied heavily that the dinosaurs are going to escape. And they just drive into the town, you know, for shelter, for their backup, you know, to get back to society. And it's kind of implied that they did complete everything that they were hoping for. The lady is then going to go face, you know, like inside the, the cab. You see the GW looking back. Uh, the game warden, you know, the lady's in handcuffs. She's kind of exhausted, though, lucky to be alive, like happy to be alive. But, you know, obviously she doesn't have any fight in her. The two spies are sitting there. They didn't really do anything wrong because, you know, obviously they're justified in their being professionals, paid professionals, and they're going to give him the slip and everything. So he's not even very concerned about that. What he is very concerned about is men and having to tell them their families what happened. And he kind of does has, it's not a very happy ending. It's just a very much like they're alive. They did survive when everything went wrong. And now he's still got to like, well, there's still a future for us. Like there's still like for us, we, we, we lived and we still got to live and make sure that we get justice that we deserve to make sure that this doesn't become too big of a deal, like worse than a deal than it already is. And that kind of sobers up everybody. That kind of really makes everyone kind of think is that they were all living for the moment and now they have to really live for the long term. Same as the Jurassic Park scientists. They were all living for the moment and their accomplishments, but nature found a way. And nature's all about deep time. Nature's all about long term. You know, we couldn't even build a Jurassic Park that lasted, you know, a couple of years in one massive hurricane. You know, just think about how mankind's not going to be able to handle the new reality of living with dinosaurs. And then you end with the title credit from Ecclesiastes, which is, you know, the fate of man is the same as the fate of beasts, where one die, the other die at two. Uh, ultimately, everything is nothing. All is a vanity. Everything is meaningless. And then you show the Bible videos later as the, the credits roll in a very legendary monarch universe way. You show the closing credits of people being brought to justice, of Engine uh, actually becoming Grindel. Engine changes his name to Grindel and becomes uh, the weapons weapon, uh, weapons uh, laboratory. Becomes the military industrial complex company Grindel. Um, the park closes. Oh, the park reopens. It's reconstructed. It, it, it basically is closed to the public, but it reopens. And, but then uh, viral videos start emerging online. Conspiracy theorists, the law enforcement, like scanners, are picking it up where dinosaurs are being spread, not only across Florida, but the entire Gulf Coast of Mexico, the Gulf of Mexico coast, third coast, um, everywhere from Louisiana to Texas, Mississippi, Alabama. And then at the very end of it, you show, uh, like, I don't know, uh, dinosaurs approaching major cities, like taking through dumpsters the same way that animals are an invasive species. 
and then at the end of it you hear the t-rex roar as it's walking on a beach you know like it's florida it's the full moon beach it's right next to miami much like the same scene from san diego it's a coastal town major city beautiful buildings great bright lights and it gives the jurassic park t-rex roar as it looks at the city as it walks on the beach and that is jurassic park dominion Thank you all very much for your viewership. Iron sharpens iron, and a friend sharpens a friend. This has been Rumors of War. Namaste and Shalom. Thank you all very much, guys, because it's never said enough. You guys deserve it. I love you. Thank you all very much. God bless you and your families. This has been my presentation of my original story treatment for Jurassic Park Dominion. Thank you all. God bless you and your families.